Hello, you lovely people. I am back for another recorded intro rather than a soundbite intro. Um, partly because this episode is sponsored by Scalectrics, so it makes sense to to tell you that. So I'm telling you that now. This episode is sponsored by Scalectrics. They are continuing to support what we're up to at Tacona, which is very nice of them. Got many nice things to say. Uh, firstly, a big thank you to everyone that came down and said hello at the Scramble uh, last weekend and the people that donated to Mission Motorsport and had a go on the big Goodwood scale electrics because it was fantastic and I had a lot of fun with it and I got to see some people and catch up with some friends. So thank you for that. Secondly, this episode is with William Haynes. Now, William is a restorer of old Jaguars specialising in early E-types. Very cool, does some incredible work, an actual craftsman doing actual craft. Now, what I didn't realise, because I'm not that history clued up and a little bit ignorant, is that uh, William's family has a quite an interesting connection to Jaguar that goes quite far back. But I'm not going to spoil it, I'm going to let him tell you in the podcast episode, because he does. He also story from last year's Goodwood Revival, which, again... Not going to spoil it for you, but it's definitely worth listening to. It's a little bit further into the episode, so get to that bit. If nothing else, take away that story because it is incredible and it needs documenting somewhere. I'm going to transpose it from the podcast and write it down and see if I can get it written somewhere because it is such a good story that more people need to have heard of. But yeah, podcast, episode, ready to go. Listen to it now. Thanks for joining us. I've clicked record, and that means almost nothing, except for whatever we were talking about is now going to be recorded, because we have just cool. been chinwagging for a little over an hour. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so we might as well let people into the conversation at this point, yeah. rather than uh, just chatting about cars ourselves. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're setting your offices. Yeah. We're at your, well, old and new premises all in one go. Yes. Because they've connected, which I didn't realise until we got here. Yeah, very cool. Um, and I'm about 10 feet away from a room full of old Jaguars, which is quite cool. And yeah. It's a very impressive amount of work that you do. Um, so the the only thing, the only real structure of this episode or any of the other episodes is going to be, who are you and what do you do? Um, so my name is William Haynes. Um, I started and own... William Haynes Limited, which I started with Amy Shaw, which is now Amy Haynes because we got married. Yeah. So um, Amy and I own William Haynes Limited. Lovely. And um, and we restore, well, we service and maintain all fifties, sixties Jaguars, um, and we're really well known for doing our full restorations on Jaguars, specialising in nineteen sixty one E types. How many nineteen sixty one E types exist? Um, Fifteen hundred. Right. Um, but then you have your, they're called flat floor E-types. Okay. Which is because the floor's are flat. That makes sense. Um, and my grandfather and his team were not six foot, they were more sort of five and a half foot. So taller drivers in the experimental weren't there. So E-types were very narrow and quite a closed cockpit in the first year of production. Right. And then there was complained a lot in 61. So 1962, they extended the, um, the floor 
not in size externally, but internally they made the seat go back by about an inch and they put drop floors in uh, so you can heel and toe properly. Um, so they're, basically, they're, they're called standard Series 1 E-types. Um, what we do, we specialise in the flat floor E-types. Okay. And then what we really, really, really specialise in when I go really dirty is the first 500 E-types, which are called outside bonnet lock E-types. Right. And they're called OBLs, which for short. Because they've got bonnet locks on the outside. Exactly. <laughs> and they didn't work very well. So later in 1961, they put the locks internally so they actually shut the bonnet properly. Right. And it was less of a faff. Um, so the early, early cars are now blue chip cars. So there's only 500. Yeah. Uh, for instance, they only made four right and drive fixed heads and they only made 88 right and drive roadsters out of the 500. Okay. All the other cars went for export. So there's quite a lot of that, 300-odd left and drive roasters, 37, I believe, right and drive fixed heads, um, and the rest are UK cars. Okay. And as those cars, the right and drive ones, ones went to Japan, Australia, <laughs> New Zealand, <laughs> South Africa. Um, so to get a genuine right and drive roadster E-type, OBL, is really special. Yeah. Um, and we currently look after nine in restoration. So how many... Oh, the numbers went through very quickly. Of all of them available, right-hand drive, roads to OBL, Yeah. what's the total number? 88. 88. So you look after 10%. Yeah. A little over 10%. And I, I certainly know where the rest are virtually. <laughs> um, some, some have disappeared. Some will never come back. They were written off or rotted. Buried in someone's garden for an insurance claim. Exactly. Like and um, what weirdly now, cars, which is... We, we've got an export spreadsheet, which has got... Uh, who owns it? Well, I believe who owns it. What what the car is, what colour it was, yeah. engine numbers, gearbox numbers, head numbers. So I have an Xbox spreadsheet of the first 80 cars. Um, and when I've, sort of, when I've seen OBLE types at a at Bista or at an auction or on the internet... Like a little sneaky sleuth wandering um, around looking for them. I'm a bit of a weirdo. Um, I'll be that guy in my... <laughs> oh, that's an OBL over there. <laughs> it up. So, um, yeah, exactly. So I'm normally that weirdo on the grass on my back looking at, oh, you've got the wrong seals on. But because of that, I've had to gain the knowledge to do what we do. Yeah. So now we have a portfolio of, of the early cars. Um, and it's now amazing that a lot of these early cars are now recreation cars pretending to be real cars because right. we've got the identity that the cars were written off in the first place. So it's a quite an interesting world we're in, hence why when we're doing it, it has to be so impeccably right yeah. for it to have the Haynes name. Um, it's H-E-Y-N-E-S. Yes. For anyone who didn't read the title, not H-A-Y-N-E-S. <laughs> it's for people that make the manuals. Yes, um, so we've yeah. slightly glossed over a, a very small thing that you said then, which was when my grandfather was doing this. So who's your grandfather and what's his connection to this, um, this story then? So my, my grandfather was William Haynes. But okay, he was nice called, and easy. Nice and easy, but he was actually known as Bill. So he was a chap with Bill Haynes, CBE, in the end. Um, and he was the most amazing man. Um, and that's it, that's his whole story. That's his whole story. Um, Bill Haynes, CBE, most amazing man. man. Job done. Um, so... Um, he was a Humber. He worked at Humber as an apprentice, and basically got spotted at Humber that he was a very, very talented draftsman engineer. Right. Um, fast forward the war effort, um, and just before the war, he got approached by Sir William Lyons, who the company called the Jaguar then was called SS Cars. Right. Swallow Sidecar Company, 
And naturally, during the war years, SS cars was not a suitable British manufacturer's name for obvious no, reasons. No, not really letters that you want to associate with the <laughs> car brand. So my grandfather became the first employer of Jaguar. Oh, um, very cool. And he was, it was Sir William Lyons, who founded the company, and my grandfather was Bill Haynes, who was the chief engineer. Amazing. Uh, so Sir William Lyons um, already had the company called SS. He got rebranded to Jaguar, and my grandfather was in those transition years when the Jaguar brand was then launched properly. Yeah. And my grandfather persuaded him to, at the time, they were using other people's chassis and, and other people's engines. And my grandfather persuaded him to go with my grandfather's Haynes design, which was the XK engine principle. Amazing, yeah. And then my grandfather went out and found his team he worked with and curated the Jaguar team in the experimental and the drawing office and the engineering side. That's who, very cool. Who then created everything from... SS- Was he, like, going up to... So you're the car manufacturer going, I'm putting together a team, and then, like, um, hoodwinked people that well, he knew and well, stuff like that. I, I'm <laughs> like a, the Expendables or something. I, 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 I think it was a lot less cooler than that. The Experimentals, they were called um, back in the day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think what was poignant at the time was war. Mm. Um, and Coventry still is, but especially back then, was the hub of the world. So everybody who was any good worked in Coventry or Warwick or Leamington or Hinckley or Nuneaton. So, yeah. this, so that, that central belt of England really had the best engineers in the world. Right. And then you had Castle Bromwich around the corner in Birmingham who did the, where the Spitfires were made. So you had a huge pull in the Second World War of probably the greatest minds in the world mm-hmm. who were um, ally brains in Coventry. Yeah. So in the war, war period, my grandfather was on fire watch. Right. And... Um, Basically, everyone was a very close-knit group of friends at that point. A bit like how we are now in the classic car world. We yeah, know yeah. each other and we all get on and we, we, you know, we're very good friends with everybody. Same thing then. It was a very small world. Um, so my grandfather knew people and people wanted to work with my grandfather and trusted him. And that's when the Jaguar team was born, was out of the war effort. Amazing. And he had um, he handpicked sort of six to ten of the best engineers and that grew to 200-odd people in the draft office in a very short period of time. Wow. And that's really how Jaguar was formed. Sir William Lyons was the businessman. Yeah. He knew what he wanted. He, he designed the cars aesthetically, and then that, that, that drifted out later on, but Sir William, Sir William Lyons always knew what he wanted. My grandfather's man who physically designed it. He to, had the headaches of, I've got to make this thing that he wants now. How do I go about that? And I, I think, like, everything. Like my, my father, who also worked at Jaguar for almost 30 years... Um, my father's an amazing man as well, um, is when you have a product you've, and a car, the package, so when you get a box, you don't really care what's on the outside of the box because it's brown. Yeah. What you care about is what you bought. Why Jaguar did so well, and what my grandfather designed, the XK engine, gearbox, Salisbury diff, basically independent rear suspension, disc brakes all round, the XK120 and the SS cars, the package was phenomenal, had mm. the best engine in the world, best transmission in the world, best suspension set in the world. The envelope at that point was almost irrelevant. As long as it looked sexy and yeah, it could yeah. sell well, like the 120, it was a, it was a hitter. But everybody loved Jaguar because of the performance. Yeah, so yeah. the package was created beautifully, which was done by Haynes and his team. The envelope was more done by the likes of um, Sir Lyons and Margaret Sayre later on. So as a, as a collective of people... Yeah, had a world-leading product. So that's basically what my... I've rambled a bit, but that's, no, no, uh, that's it, roughly where that's we are. I really care about interesting it. Interesting automotive history, right yeah. from the source, effectively. Like, yeah, some, I didn't know that fact about you. That's not why I messaged and said, do you want to come and sit down and <laughs> chat? It was... 
I have seen what you do and I know you and I know Amy and it, I knew it was going to be an interesting chat because of what you're doing. I didn't know that backstory because I, I, for my own fault of being somewhat ignorant, I don't know that much about the history of cars to that kind of level. So I like cars, but not in a, I know everything about everything. Yeah, I like cars in a, I know a lot about most things and I enjoy the experience of cars. I enjoy the community and the culture, but I'm not ingrained in it I'm quite, as far as a lot of people are. Weirdly spinning it. I'm quite envious of that. <laughs> I have all um, this knowledge, <laughs> because, but I can't drive. <laughs> I, I, I'm absolutely... Someone, someone gave me, you know, there's two diesel of golf, can you take the engine out? I'm like, I'll give it a go, but I'll probably be as, just as good as everybody else, if not worse. Um, I, I care about the Jaguar brand. Yeah. Um, I am third generation. You know, as a collective family, my, my father and my dad, there's 90 years almost there of a Haynes involvement in... In the, in the good stuff. From the source. From, and um, yeah. you know, my grandfather designed everything from the SS car, the late SS cars was SS Jaguar cars, you know, 120 C-type, 140 D-type. Uh, then you go into 150, and then you go into e, basically early experimental E-types, and then obviously there's the Mark 1, and leading to Mark 2, and then the E-type programme, and then the XJ6, yeah. and XJ13, as well as everything else that's going on, was really led by my grandfather. Yeah. And then my father um, sort of joined the ropes very early on in the 60s at Comedy Climax, doing Jim Clark's engines. Yeah. And um, it's a fantastic story of the Haynes involvement. And that's why I do care. That's why I do E-types, is because um, my family designed them. Yeah, yeah. So it's sort of you, third you're generation. You're kind of connected to it. You've not got much choice. Your name is synonymous with E-types, I whether to, you like it or not. I kind of had to do it. Yeah. And um, It's funny, I have now, you're the third person connected to the Jaguar story that i've had on here oh wow so ian callum's been on here yeah mate i love him yeah and caesar um pieri yeah who is the man that is the brainchild of the f-type yeah uh, the project seven Project's when there. he was working on the f-type probably one of the my favorite cars but this is completely um, by chance that i happen to bump into you like at car events you must like you're a jag man I, i've never had a jag my we one of my that. best friends has like 15 of them <laughs> and i just i'm like yeah, I so have an old Renault and a Toyota. Face it, marketplace is dangerous. <laughs> this is the thing. So he got um, given a Jag cool. that has a Chevy engine in it. It's got a Chevy short block, okay, or small block, whatever it's called, and it spent twenty years on top of a shipping container, and it, it, it was so, almost like a trophy that people had recognised in this prominent location. What what, are you, what, what, what Jag was it? XJS. Cool. So it's an XJS. So it's been yanked. I mean, American. Yes. Okay. And. Yeah. The guy who had the shipping container it was kept on had to take apart the container mm. stack or whatever, and he was just going to scrap it because it's it's all rusted. It's, it's an old yes. Jag that spent 20 years on well, top of the container. Day. So my friend, so Luke, um, who I think he was like episode eight of the podcast, I cool. managed to rope him in. And um, he was, his family have a recovery company. So they've got a big truck with a crane on it. And he went, I'll come and get it. Did he have a dustpan brush with them and bin bags? I think they just like lifted the container. It's like they all slide off yeah. in one go. So he's got this sat in his yard. He's like, I'll do something with it one day. I'm like, oh yeah, like the other 10 that are sat in that unit that you've got. It, it is an addiction. Yeah, it's mad. Um, it is bad. I think, you know, are we addicts? Are we all, are we just idiots? I, I didn't know. I think there's a certain um, amount of pride in keeping the mark alive though. Because if yeah. you guys aren't doing it, and Luke's similar age towards... Mm-hmm. The younger people aren't as invested in the old stuff as people yeah. once were. 
and it's a lot harder to work on modern cars so people aren't as invested in keeping mm. them going they're just chopping and changing I, I'm, more often I'm so passionate about that that snippet of conversation yeah because um, I think I'm 30 now I think I'm probably I'd love to be corrected do let me know if I am wrong but um, I think I'm certainly one of the youngest people at this level in the industry mm. doing what we do and as a team we're you know um, we're a very young team. You know, I have an apprentice at you know, age 20, 21. You know, we have a guy, you know, 27 year old, 28 year old, and then myself, and then the rest of the team. You know, we're, we're, we're no one here is at retirement age. Mm. So we're a very young team uh, with older members of staff who are still young members of staff. You know, they're in their early 50s, they're still young as, yeah. as, as individuals. So when we start the business, the longevity of the product only only can exist if you've got longevity of your team mm. and the team you can expand on that as the industry and it's a, it's a massive problem everyone keeps going up jumping up and down there um and i was very lucky that i got approached by start motor charity yeah, which yeah. Is their those guys um so i'm now we're a, both too old to be on their insurance now so I'm 30, <laughs> i was 30 this year oh fair enough <laughs> so you same as me yeah they've got a, a lovely i think it's a it's a daimler yeah the, the big the, cream uh, the s-type jaguar s-type is it a jaguar yeah um, and I was going to take that to an event cool. and I can't remember why it didn't happen but when I saw them they go oh do you still want to take the, the Jag to an event I was like I can't I'm 30 like oh yeah our insurance is up oh, to 30 I think, I'm, I'm uh, sure we could sort that yeah. out yeah I was like I really wanted to drive that <laughs> I thought that would be a really good I'll just insure you for the day yeah, yeah a really so. good funny afternoon just driving an old car yeah. and praying it doesn't break do S-types I'm going to say no most underrated classic car is an S-Type Jaguar. I'm going to leave it there. Okay. Because you buy them very cheap at the moment. Same engine, same rear suspension as an E-Type virtually. I know someone very that's cool. going to upset you because they've got one on hydraulic suspension. Like low rider hydraulic yeah, suspension. Yeah, we, we won't be friends. As much as they're going to be lovely, we're not going to get on. He's parting it out. So he's, it'll be a rolling shell with no suspension. I mean, to be fair to him, that's quite a, quite a clever thing to do. Mm. That's quite cool. So I imagine um, it, it's very comfy, and it sits on the floor. Well, it won't be comfy when your bottom's being dragged across the floor, but because <laughs> it, um, it's adjustable. Yeah, it's very, that's, as you say, that's very, very cool. But I, I have a feeling it will upset purists quite significantly. <laughs> well, I suppose um, there's a there's a need for it. Mm. You know, we all the crusty people, and I probably put myself in that bracket who love everything original and proper cars. We do need to be upset because if someone's got the pride of getting a classic car out and putting on air ride and putting a V8 in it and putting an auto box and things, the car's still being used. The car, the shape's still there. The shape's still sexy. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, great, because otherwise that car would have been chopped up and put in the skip. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it all works out. Go, did you go, see sorry. the Destruction Derby type? I did. How much did it hurt to see that? It wasn't an OBL. No. Uh, I think it was a V12 fixer or something, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I think it was a... What, what did they call the longer back one? Or is that just all of Yeah, them? it's 2 plus 2. Okay. Um, yeah, so to be fair, um, you know, it would have been an E-Type, which was you know, absolutely knackered. Mm. The cost of restoration outweighed the value of the car. So go for it. You know, the, 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 there's times when something, you know, is just uh, irresponsible if you do that. But then 80% of the, of the classic car world are cars which are in a position where they can be done and have another lease of life and be fun and used. And we wouldn't be talking about this now if they hadn't if done that. Yeah, so yeah. I think, think any time anybody does anything to a classic car is a positive thing. 
and then has the pride and the the I don't know the insanity to go and use it all the, the balls, time. Yeah. yeah, the balls to do it um, is is shoot there to be marred. You know, um, going back to starter motor. Um, yeah, uh, more important to talk about. Um, <laughs> starter motor is a fantastic charity. Um, I was very kindly asked and voted in to be a trustee this year, um, which was really flattering because I never thought I'd own my own company and then be a trustee of a charity. Mm. Um, which is a very special thing to do. And so I, I really, really, really very much care. It's very bad English. I've, I care about getting young people in the industry um, because I want to try and get one to two apprentices through my little business every year. But if we can 15, 20, 30 other people who do similar things we do in different marks, um, we've suddenly got an industry. And we need to get the person who has both parents don't drive or both parents drive an electric car. And they have no, they would have no involvement in the classic car world. Yeah. But if we gave them the opportunity to understand, actually, it's in the most amazing industry where, you know, where everything from private finance to insurance to fabrication to paint to sales, even people choosing the hides to people making rubber tires, people making metalastic to chrome work. There's so many variants within the industry. Yeah, yeah. And we just need to get people, young people, knowing about how what amazing the automotive industry as a whole is not just classic cars and what opportunities there are yeah. so starter motors are amazing so I, from my point of view everybody should have a good starter motor if they're at college or school and they're not quite sure what they're doing at careers yeah starter motor because then you will work out very quickly actually if you like driving an Audi, Audi TT from 2003 or driving this site Jaguar from 1966 you, you have the opportunity even in pre-war stuff so yeah yeah um, They've got a Porsche 94 as well, which yeah, um, yeah. the wheel fell off when Adam was driving. <laughs> so Adam Gumpitz was driving it around the Bista test track for something, and he got overtaken by his own rear wheel. And he was like, yeah. well, that's not supposed to happen in the car until then started pirouetting. From, from experience, it's not fun. No. Um, we, had, we had a half-shaft snap on our racing Mark 1 oh. at Thruxton last year. I was driving, a dear friend and very talented driver, Cam Jackson, was driving. And um, hard shaft snapped. Uh, ironically, about four, three weeks before the hard shaft snapped on Grant Williams' car at Festival Speed, which we went into the crowd and it was already dangerous and difficult. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, it's exactly the same thing happened to us, but we were doing about 80, 90 miles an hour at the time. And that caused a hell of a lot of damage. Oh, I can imagine, um, yeah. So, yeah, so if wheels falling off, it's happened twice in my life. Um, <laughs> in the last, what, year? Well, no, but first of all, my, my dad was driving his 120 and um, the wheel fell off. <laughs> so that That's was, the problem with single locking, scent, like knock-on caps and stuff. What, yeah, well, they were, I guess if it's the it's that car goes, shaft. Yeah. What it is is that these cars are quite old, and if you try and do burnouts on them, they break. And yeah, because they haven't had any maintenance because they everyone lives in a shed and has no money. So um, <laughs> they only work when you spend money on them. Hence, why I now own a restoration company because you get good at fixing stuff when it's your own. Yeah, you've um, spent all those years in the shed, and now you're like, look, I can do this. Let me do it for you. Yeah. Exactly. So you don't have to be in the shed. Um, yes, yeah, so in short, everyone look up Starter Motor. It's a fantastic, no, I, I agree. fantastic and, charity. Um, this will go out after the scramble, but if you ever go to the scramble, yeah, must. go and see them, yeah. go and speak to the young people that are looking yeah. after yeah. these cars. Effectively, what the cars are, they're like on loan to the charity from yes, people correct. who own the cars yeah. under the agreement that a young person will live with it, basically. Like, not all of them are taken home and garaged and drive and stuff and like that. And they are all fully maintained by yeah. charity. Um, some cars are actually gifted, like, in a will to the charity. Yeah. And then sometimes um, the charity will sell those cars to then... They've got an S2 Elise. I'm yeah. very annoyed. I was yeah. like, I'd love to have a go on an S2 Elise. I now yeah. can't have a go because I'm too old. <laughs> well, we can work, we'll work around that. But it, 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 
it's one of those amazing things where it needed to happen. Um, I think it's the only charity really at, at that level now. It's got some fantastic people behind it. Um, it's got the cash behind it to do events. Um, and also it's going to schools and educating. Not, you know, yeah. It's not just going to Bicester to see it. We are where all the people who like classic cars already or, are. Already are. We, we, <laughs> we're going to schools where you know there might not be even a single student in there who knows what the classic car world is. Yeah. So it, it is a really positive thing from the yeah, grown-up side. It is, it is. It is very cool and um, very. And on a, a similar vein to that, um, a project I'm involved with, not in a trustee level, is the Revs Restore project. Yeah, fantastic. And the idea of that is to just give people who have never worked mm. on a car a the opportunity to go and have a go. Mm. And be a place to connect with people and chat and bond yeah. over a common goal. I think I think the Revs project has probably been singly one of the, if not the best thing to cast of twenty twenty three. I think the whole way you and, and, and Adam put it together with the team and someone gifting the Land Rover, and that is nothing more humbling I've seen yeah. happen on a, an emotionally intelligent level. And I think it's it's it wasn't done as look at us, look at you. No, it was entirely... So Adam is really the driving force behind it. Mm. And um, Ian has been the man that has got up every weekend and gone and helped these people learn how to tinker on this car because he's rebuilt Land Rovers and he turns up quite regularly in an opal manta that he pulled out of a hedge and then just went and got it MOT'd. (laughs) He's like, oh, it's got an MOT on it, let's go. Um, And he's been a a real, like, credit to that project Mm. in that he's there regularly going, right, we're going to fit... The engine, let's go. And he'll just spend the time teaching people what bits go where and how to fit a screw and how to pilot drill a hole and stuff like that. And I I endlessly feel guilty for not being more involved. I'm I'm so busy at events and stuff, I can't be there as much as I'd like to be. So I I turn up almost like a little guest spot, like, hey, I'm here, I'm just going (laughs) to mill around, take some photos, go, oh, you're not tightening that bolt up and then bugger off again. Um, But it's been a, a really encouraging project to see how much of an impact it's had for people. Yeah, it's. Uh, I am. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's brilliant. I, I'm just longing. You know, I I want it to happen again. So I'm you know, I working on the next project. Actually, um, it might not be a Land Rover. Okay. So is it is it British? Possibly not. It might be German. Crikey, Bob's. Is it an E46? Or no, 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 it's, it's okay. older. Older. So we gave it, what, 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 like... So I'm, I'm having a conversation with a company down in Sussex who supply parts for old Volkswagens. Cool. So one of the key ingredients to the Land Rover working so well was Brickpot. They got on board in a really yeah, big way. Company. And they've been like, we've got a whole chassis sat in the warehouse. Do you want it? Amazing. Like, they've been really, really good at helping source parts buying and selling parts, donating bits and bobs where they can. And then on the flip side, like promoting the idea and con- connecting people with like Land Rover magazine and stuff yeah, like cool. that. So they've been really crucial to it. And because we don't have the next thing lined up and we're not 100% sure if there'll be another Land Rover available or anything like that, I started putting the feelers out in a little way to a couple of people that I know in different in yeah. parts of the car world. Because as we say, we're all incestuous and we know each other. And one of them is uh, Drive Heritage down in Sussex. And I said, you're similar to Brickpot in what you do, but for the old German stuff, do you have any projects that you could give to the idea or at least lend to be rebuilt and then used by the team? So that conversation has started, but we haven't pinned down anything yet. But it's a fun one because it's like we can get involved with businesses in different ways that a 
give people something to do and B gives them something to to share about. It, it, it's fantastic. And I, I, to, you have to get suppliers on board. Yeah, um, that's the big it, challenge, I think. It, it, my, my last 10 years of my life has been getting suppliers on board. So if you can do it for the Rev, yeah. you know, you're away. Because, you know, if someone can give you a chassis or give you some set of tyres or wheels or UJs or whatever it is, you know, brilliant. Yeah, we'll talk about after, but yeah, yeah. I, there's, no, it's, it's, it's really cool. It's some fun projects. And this is the part of the car world that I get much more passionate about is the community side of things. And I've only been kind of in the car world since, we'll say 2020, because the idea kind of started in 2019, but it was literally me in a bedroom going, oh, I could well, that's figure bit... out how to draw and design. Isn't and... that how we all start? Yeah, like I, <laughs> so... I have no, I get asked this every so often, like, so you, you're a designer? I'm like, no, I, I wanted to make t-shirts, so I had to learn how to do it. And then I just went mm. and figured out how to do it. That's how it works. I've never made a t-shirt, so you already one up with me. <laughs> I, I've never restored a Jag, so... <laughs> I think, it, I think that was out. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But that, that's the fun side of the car world is, as a, a relative newbie to the industry, learning all the connections and making all these kind of a, friends and speaking to different people. And to be fair, doing the, the podcast is a really nice way for me to learn more as well. Like it, it serves a purpose and it does its thing. But outside of that, I'm like, how else am I going to get and sit to chat, yeah. to sit and chat with these people from the industry it's not very often you go, can I come and just chat to you for an hour? Because I'm interested in what you do. People go, no, I'm really busy. But if I go, shall we do something that's mutually beneficial and I get to chat to you for an hour or so, people are like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. That'd be really nice. Thank you very much. Um, so it's a fun little byproduct. No, it's, it's good. It's, um, yeah, Amy, Amy has her podcast with Jim and Chat and um, with John. And it's fantastic. You yeah. know, it's what the people, you know, the, the, everyone meets as a result is... Um, and we are a fun group. You know, the industry is fun. Yeah. yeah. And we're a luxury... Um, you know, we're not heart surgeons. No. Um, you know, people aren't going to not be around tomorrow morning if we don't be able to eat up in time. But uh, we are a luxury... It might make you feel like that. Oh, it definitely make me feel like that. Um, but I'm also sympathetic to that. So it's... Um, what I'm trying to say is, you know, it's a very, very luxury place to be. You know, we deal with the people who are not in the 1% and we deal with the people who are in the 1% wealth bracket. And that comes in its own you know, pros and cons. Uh, a lot of it is now more pro than it was con, but starting the business business with no one ever teaches you how to run a business. People no. like to tell you how to run a business, but they actually don't run your business for you. Yeah. So you have to learn how to run a business. Then you have to work out what the hell PAYE is and VAT is and all this sort of thing. So you have to have a damn good accountant. And then you have to be head of HR and then find people and then get on with everybody. Yeah. And then when you've done all that, You've got to pick up the spanners. You've got to pick up the spanners and make, make cars. <laughs> um, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but it, you know, I'm very proud and very pleased that you've you've welcomed you've been welcomed with open arms into the car world because it is it's fantastic. You know, it, it's, it's been a, a really pleasant experience. Like there are people, and it's the same in every industry that you just you don't really mix well with. We're human. Yeah, you that's know, how it, life goes. Yeah. But I, I've not found anyone that's really gone like out their way to be horrible. I don't think humans are horrible people. I think no. people just have different, difficult, difficult circumstances at the time. So, um, you know, and in the classic car world, everyone's a bit nuts. Yeah, you, know, we have you to, kind of have to be to I have think that level of passion. Don't I you? think we all sort of agree when we're all in a quiet room together that we're probably all on the spectrum because nobody in our right mind would do what we do as a, as a job to go <laughs> yeah. and try and make money out of it. If, so one of the fun things I've been learning with this is, so I'm on the waiting list for an ADHD assessment. 
um, perks of my partner being a psychologist is I can go, does this sound like ADHD? And she'll go, oh, actually, yeah, it does. I'm like, shouldn't you have picked up at that? And she's like, I'm too close to it to see. Um, so I, I'm, I'm following the, the process. Like, I'm not paying for private. I'm just going to... See how it goes. Yeah, I'm not struggling in how to live or anything mm. like that. I'm not in a, if I don't get this diagnosis and the medication it's that interesting, comes with. Right? Yeah. It's interesting. But what I am learning is there are so many people that I meet and would call good friends mm. that I'm like, you're on the spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, we click so quickly that you can't be. Like, yeah. I'm really sorry to break this to you, but I think you might be somewhere on the yeah, spectrum. I, I, I definitely am somewhere. My whole family are actually all slightly nuts, but um, I'm very dyslexic, always have been. Um, I was actually one tick up from being in a wheelchair at a school on dyslexia. Because actually, no one's actually dyslexic. If you're dyslexic, you're basically fully disabled. You, know, you right. can't hardly talk. So dyslexia is actually a byproduct word from the worst case scenario. Everyone has a trickle effect. Right, there. okay. Um, so I, I only learned to read and write when I was, you know, I was even 13 I was struggling. Wow. Um, it took me five attempts to get my maths GCC. It took me four attempts to get my English GCC. So English was an easier one for you, apparently. Weirdly. Um, <laughs> but it's like weird things. I think it's like my... my common entrance exam I got handwritten I got like 12% and then I did it verbally through being dyslexic I got uh, 92% so, so the functioning functioning is there it's the just how to try, try to get it and I think and then I was very lucky that I loved woodwork my hidden skill is actually woodwork if I wasn't doing e-types I would be farming and if I wasn't doing farming I'd be building staircases as an oak this is funny because um, I grew up doing woodwork <laughs> well I think, I think I think it's how our brains work yeah. because um, my granddad yeah. hand turned four poster beds. Cool. He's got, I like him. He's got oak four poster beds in his tiny little bungalow that he's made himself. Yeah, cool. We will get on. Yeah, and he's got a lathe. I think he still has his lathe because we've got some um, dining chairs and they've got thin spindle backs. So it's like a, an oval of these spindles. He, he's showing me with his hands, by the way. Yeah, to, sorry. To it's not great audio. <laughs> um, but they're thin spindles and one of them's come out. So I've got a replacement spindle, but I haven't got a lathe to turn it on. Otherwise, I'd have done it by now. So my grandparents live up in Derbyshire. So I was like, oh, next time I visit, I'll just ask, can I come and borrow your lathe? And my granddad's is nearly 90, or he's 85, something like that. And because they live quite a solitary life, that's normally when kind of things slow down, like mentally. Yeah. His memory's not great. I was like... Have you still got your lathe? Oh, I don't know. I was like, the shed's right there. I'm surprised you're not in there now. Oh, I had to go to the shops. So I'm I'm going to go and visit and do. take the spindle up and try and get it yeah, to yeah. fit in this chair. It'd be a nice thing for you to connect on and do things. I mean, it woodwork is a, lo- is a lovely thing because there's, no, there's not many materials in, on this planet which are so malleable as wood. Yeah. Um, I suppose metal is to a certain degree. Um, it's very cold in relation. Right? Do also, it depends how hot you get. True. Um, <laughs> no, I don't disagree. I think it's, if you can if you can do woodwork, um, my skill set went from woodwork, and I transferred that to understanding metalwork. Yeah. And from from basic woodwork, you can then my my lifetime from a teenager onwards has been being able to craft something which is a, which is a malleable item. Yeah. And, yeah. That, and that ironically has turned into. Golden classic cars. Um, we watched um, Gone in sixty seconds on yeah, cool. New Year's Eve because my other half hasn't seen it, and I was like, I'm in a real mood for like a bit of nostalgia. Yeah. So we opened up, and it was like it was either Con Air or Gone in sixty seconds, and she'd yeah. seen neither of them. You, you went for the right choice. I was like, we'll start with Gone in sixty seconds, yeah. and if we've got time, we'll put Con Air on because mm. that is. 
peak Nicolas Cage. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a nuts film. But Christopher Eccleston's character in Gone in 60 Seconds has a thing for woodwork. And he's like, wood is warm and malleable and living yeah. and this and this. I was like, for all of the horribleness of this man, that's a really nice <laughs> it's thing to say. Yeah. It's like he's in the steelworks, which is the final scene where the big showdown happens. And Nicolas Cage has got this antique chair. He's like, no, put it down. And he smashes it against the side. He's like, no! <laughs> <laughs> I need to watch this film with Amy later. <laughs> yeah, it's on Disney yeah. Plus. It's fine. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll be there. Um, but yeah, it was that, like, it, wood is, it's warm and malleable mm. and natural and you you almost work with it to yeah. change it into something else and turn it from a, a tree trunk or a plank or a board or whatever into something different mm. that has shape and curve and beauty yeah. and stuff like that. And it's it's something that, again, like with classic cars, isn't appreciated as much as it kind of should be. We're yeah. very much in a yeah. throwaway culture these days. Yeah. I, mean, I think when I started being taught about design in the proper way is that everything natural is freehand, everything mechanical is straight lines. Yeah. And you know, I got taught this when I was six, seven years old. Um, you know, they're going. I'm just struggling to read. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I had my own workshop key for my. I had at age thirteen. I virtually had a key for the workshop at school. I was very lucky. I went to boarding school, uh, and um, we can tell from your accent. Don't worry. Okay. Um, sorry about that. It's like I don't need to apologise for who um, you are. It just it makes me laugh that you and I are very opposite ends of the spoken spectrum. Because I'm from up north of Mansfield, where English is just about spoken, and you're from somewhere that speaks proper English. It's I, it's quite weird, one. It's um, I've just always had this accent. I, it's funny that yeah. you and Amy found each other because you both speak very properly. <laughs> you must well, have just heard each other across a room of northerners and gone, "Oh, my people are over there." Well, it's quite funny. Amy, Amy's from Leicester, and over Christmas Amy, we went back to our family, which is very lovely, and they're actually here today. And um, and Amy goes back into the Leicester Twang. Yeah. And I, I drag her out of it over like the week. But am I wrong in saying that? I'm, or am I, should I go more like Leicester? But it's, it's we both speak well. I, I think speaking is, um, I, I've always struggled with my dyslexia to speak and to write and to communicate through academically. And um, it's it's so important to push through it because, you know, um, when I was failing my English and Massachusetts, I was a design scholar. Um, I got a design scholarship. I went to prep school in Worcestershire and I ended up going to a school called Gordonston up in Scotland. Right. So I did five years boarding in a very lovely school which was totally unacademic. So it's all about um, leadership and it's all about, um, you know, they find what you're good at. So my, my thing was design yeah. and sailing and it's basically, basically it's being a bit of a rugby player and trying to avoid everything which was to do with a pen and pencil. Yeah, yeah. Um, what kind of outside... Let's go. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's, That's it's similar amazing. with like Bear Grylls. I, I read his autobiography a few years ago now, back when I was working in the hospitals yeah. and I had to do things to keep myself awake on night shifts. I read, I read a lot of books then. And he spoke a lot about how his time in boarding school and prep school was learning who he was as a person yeah. and really amplifying the natural skill set and the natural gifts to yeah. encourage a person to grow in their own way, rather than being fixed in these little channels yeah, exactly. that we get I, I, into. Exactly. I would have personally how my brain works. I would have. I would wouldn't have done very well early on in life if I was said you were going to become this. Yeah. Um, I, it's taken me ten years to work out what I wanted to do. Um, I then ended up doing a. Um, I went to university, went down as foundation because I didn't have enough A levels to get into properly. But then worked on my way through to get an honours degree. Yeah. Um, 
and um, did re- loved it. Drank way too much, enjoyed myself far too much. But I, I had, missed that. I didn't but, do uni. I, I really it. missed that. I didn't I, have not the I drank way too much in that. But I think that's a real defining experience for people to have, especially you, at that age. Yeah, you work out who you are. Yeah, and you work out a who do I want to be friends with. You make mistakes early, and you you watch other people make mistakes, or you watch other people do great things. Mm. So. So that three-year period for me was quite important because I worked out, am I going to come a family... Am I going to run the family farm or am I going to run someone else's farm? Because, but I always had this inner calling deep, deep down that I wanted to, wanted to do what I'm doing now. Yeah. Um, so I had to go through that experience to work out that actually, no, I didn't want to become a farmer. I actually wanted to go into cars and yeah. then um, it didn't fall, didn't fall easily. So I, I ended up working for free and then eventually got a grown-up apprenticeship. Right. So I went from... a something sounded like I do at a very red brick university, uh, very academically good on paper, yeah. uh, to basically becoming an apprentice, sweeping the floors and buying and getting making people tea in a fabrication shop, building Jaggers and Fries in Nuneaton. Right. All, all, so I left university. Two weeks later, I went and did my, went to Doverall's. <laughs> so I went from wearing black tie dinners, like a posh kid, yeah, did, yeah. without even knowing it was not, not normal, to coming right down to inner depth Coventry, and it's probably the biggest wall I've ever hit in my life. It must have been very humbling. Um, yeah, it, it, it was. I always, always, I longed for it. I didn't have ever. I, I didn't have ever longed to do that job more than I just went there my first day. Yeah. And I knew I was that's that was me. I've never felt more at home mentally. Yeah. With that decision, what it was, there was quite a lot of expectation. I suppose there still is, by being one of the only bloodline links of the automotive trade still active. You know, the the Fry Fry grandson, that's this Fry movie. He's on the board of Fry, but he's not building Ferraris. No, no, same, same, not. same as Audi, yeah. Land Rover, Seat. There's nobody, you know, even down the Triumph motorbike side. There's nobody who turning spanners, turning spanners, who are third generation still doing it. Yeah. So I've always had quite a lot of underlying pressure internally to get this right, mm. um, and that was really my my motivation. Where so I did a proper apprenticeship. I spent seven years understanding E-type from the best in the world yeah. and then when, they, when I got to the point where they, I had to really learn on my own I spent three or four years doing it on my own and self-taught self, 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 totally self-taught yeah. learning mistakes or how other people have made mistakes in the trade what people are doing well how do you get a car ready for Pebble Beach what are the processes in doing that what's the financial impact of doing that so I've had 10 years experience yeah, yeah. from that and I, I would not be here today at all, if I wasn't given the chance by Bob and James with the RS Powers, right? Because that's where I started. That's where you started. And um, and if you write off a GTO Ferrari, you'll go to Italy and they'll get shipped back to Nuneaton. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, I, I by by sheer luck and for their kindness, I was um, given a chance to be exposed to the elite of the car world mm. in a very humbling situation where you weren't worried to basically get a hammer to it because it's just because it's a Ferrari or GTO or LMB or D-type or a lightweight E-type. Because it's back to woodwork, Yeah, I tell my customers, all you need is the first stone chip and then you go over it. If you crash it, we'll fix it. If, mm. if, it, if, you, bend, if, you, if you knock a dent into it, we'll fix it. It's just metal. Yeah, yeah. And, there's, and there's a clever bit of metal where you do a preservation side, but the cars are there to be used. Um, I went a bit of a ramble then, but there we no, are. So, I um, very much love a good ramble, especially <laughs> on that interesting. Um, yes, I, I started the car world with no word on lie. I was lucky where I went to work, but I started absolutely at the bottom. Yeah. And um, 
Did the people of Nuneaton criticise you in any way for the way you spoke while you were at the oh, Vogue? I got absolute shit for it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you'd have encountered me, I'd have been... What I'm somewhat doing right now is kind of taking the piss. Um, but what I did as a result of that, I worked harder than everybody else. Yeah. I got you to, had to prove to them that yeah. you... Yeah. And, and becoming from, coming from the Haynes family, which from everybody else who wasn't, you know, couldn't really care less, um, it is... It is one of the most strongest and most recognised British family names in the automotive world. Yeah. Um, and it was for a very long time. So I wasn't... I didn't come into the car world to be... to try and be a celebrity or trying to be somebody who would be recognised on Instagram. I came here because I wanted to do a damn good job. Yeah, yeah. And, and, um, and to do that, I, had to, I, I started from the bottom and it was not easy. It was not easy because you're suddenly going from a teenage brain space to an adult brain space, working with people who've worked in the same factory for 30, 40 years mm. who are very institutionalised, but probably the best people and the best craftsmen I ever I know of. Yeah. So it was a massive wake-up call. Um, and singly, the best thing ever happened to me. And as a result, that's what made me push my skill set and develop the database and the, and the contacts to do what we do now. Well, we've gone around some of the cars that you're working on before we sat down to chat, and I was immensely blown away by the level of precision and not necessarily in the, the precision. I, I am impressed with the precision of the work that you do, but that's not the bit that's impressed me substantially. The specific detail knowledge that you have mm. is incredible. It's very and cool. I, I don't have any particular subject that I'm that well versed in, but I also haven't spent ten years on one particular subject. Mm. But it was things like where the original rivet points were and the spot weld points, mm. and knowing that when they built this specific car originally, they forgot to weld that bit in, so it's not supposed to be welded; it's supposed to be spot welded or um, riveted. Yeah, and it's a tiny little part that if you didn't know that level mm. of detail, you wouldn't know that. Exactly. And that's an incredible testament to the amount of work that you put into what you do. Yeah. And it's something that, unless you get to experience what I've done with you this evening where we've gone around these cars, or unless you spend time with a, a real like expert on them, you won't notice that, and you'll therefore not get to appreciate it for what it is. Yes. And what really added to that was when you were very much talking about your grandfather, it's like, oh, when he did this, he did that. And it's not just when Jaguar built this car, it's when my grandfather made this thing, way back when, he did this because that was his thought process. And now I get to revisit that thought process when I approach this project. Yeah. And you get to spend time standing in your grandfather's shoes, pretty much. It, it, it's, it's really, yeah, I, it is, yes, I'm, thank you. Um, it's so interesting seeing development. Yeah. And... I started off with quite generic 1962, 63 types when I was becoming good at what I'm doing um, and deconstructing cars and reconstructing them. And then I got sort of... That's why I love the early cars because they, they'll, they'll put a rivet somewhere or make a hole or they'll, they'll create spacing to do something. So, oh, that's because they couldn't get that... You couldn't get your index finger through that hole to put that wiring tag on. So they opened up the wiring hole. Right. So, and by doing that, they had to put a grommet there. But by, because they had to put a grommet there, they had to, sub, to create that sub-assembly differently before it was spot-welded to the car. So suddenly, by building and deconstructing the cars in later order, going all the way back from the mid-60s all the way back to the early, early cars like we are now, mm. you learn the flaws and, and, and the, the development of productionising the cars. And it's fascinating. 
Yeah. Because uh, I'm working through, I've had to go through backwards, the wrong way around, to understand the, the thought process yeah. of the first design principle. And I love that. And unless you've had the opportunity to strip 20, 30 cars like I have in almost dated reverse order, which I have done, you understand the differences. So what I've, I don't know what I know because I've read a book. I've done it because I've actually done the job. Yeah. And that's how you know the difference. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I love some days, you know, I'll be doing something with one of the boys in the workshop and they're like, Christ, well, this doesn't, this doesn't really make much sense. It doesn't need to make sense because it was development. Yeah. They did something. Let's, let's draw something out. Let's machine that up. Let's chuck on the car. Let's put 200 miles on it. Comes back. doesn't work. Right. Bad idea. But ironically, because that idea was productionized, they might have made five cars like that. Yeah, yeah. So, it, so <laughs> and then the, there's now five cars that have got like 200 that. miles before you realise it's a problem. problem. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 literally, there's sometimes I've built a few cars where, you know, especially when I was doing it with my father, that we built them so accurately to the factory specification of when they left the factory in 61. The test mileage we're doing has mirrored the early test results. Yeah. So when Norman Juris was the original test driver for Jaguar, he'd do his loop which we mirror, we try and mirror the same loop. So the same corner we're going around, the same corner was done 60 years ago. So we try and mirror that. And the, the, the test results on the, basically the drivability of the cars and what we're getting back, what we're feeding back to ourselves is the same notes they're taking in so March, April, June, <laughs> July of 61. It feels like this on this corner. And then you look at his notes, you go, oh, he's yeah, got the same Yeah, so we've got bumps up under steer here and this is rattling or this is chafing or the, the hood's flapping. Yeah. Uh, we're, we've been experiencing the same issues. Amazing. Which is testament to the level that you're building them at, that they're um, correct to the original. And then the clever bit now is to do the job so well that nobody knows that we've ironed out the flaws. Yeah. So, um, you know, we don't want a customer to spend three years waiting for the car and for the door lock to rattle. <laughs> well, it would have originally rattled. It would have originally rattled. Oh, I don't want it to so, rattle, um, so I pay so, you. <laughs> so, exactly. So there's an element of... Um, there's an element where we do a couple of different types of restoration. We do the we do the complete Pebble Beach spec, which we which is a more of a preservation build, mm-hmm. which um, I was involved with. with um, my work, before I was set up William Haynes Limited, I worked with my father, who's got a company with Haynes Heritage. And we did it for James Mitchell, who runs Pendine. Okay. At Bista. He commissioned us to do it, and we got the car to Pebble. And that was, on road test, doors rattling. Yeah, yeah. But it's exactly what <laughs> it was what it on been, that particular yeah. car. But now we're trying to do the same thing where we now 3D print, we 3D scan, we remanufacture. Um, I'm very aware now, hyply aware, where the flaws are in the early cars. Yeah. And I've also got a shoehorn, um, normally a very, very wealthy individual, into that car who's been very, very patient. Yeah. So we have to eliminate those flaws, but by still building a totally period-correct build, yeah. um, but also just basically building a car to a standard which has not yet been done. Mm. And I'm very conscious that people say, we've built the best cars in the world, you know, for everything from MGs to Bugattis to Jags. Everyone restoration company says they're, they're, they do a really good job. Everyone does. Um, I'm doing it a very, very different way to everybody else. And that's purely down to understanding the product probably better than anybody else. Yeah. Um, and also we've got the family background to know the flaws. So we don't have to R&D the flaws. The R&D's already been done. Yeah. So that's really when I started WH two and a half years ago, it wasn't a startup company. On paper it was, but the R&D and the intellectual property and the build sequence 
was actually been mastered over 10 years. Yeah, yeah. And that's how we've got to... So you've grown quite quickly. Quickly, because we, we, the customer base already knew what we're, what we're capable of doing. Yeah. Uh, and the people who new customers to us, um, I haven't really had to... It hasn't taken me two years to explain why we should have the work. It's, I think it's fairly obvious that when you see what we do... Um, oh, absolutely. Well, you were showing me some of your cars that are at... I'm not going to say chassis level, because the chassis is not actually that big of a part, which I've only learned today. Um, they're at um, monocoque level. Yes, yeah. And what was how many hours are in the grey car that's in the middle? Um, we're probably at just just under 1,200 hours of just the metalwork. So to give you context as to what that looks like, you have a Jaguar E-Type monocoque, which is what the doors and the frame and, and everything and the rear wings yeah. well it all bolts onto it's, all, it's got the rear wings on yeah and it's not bolted it's all welded together but so all the other bits go yeah, on yeah exactly yeah. so th- this is your core of a Jag right yeah that's 1200 hours worth of work and the bonnet yeah yeah Which, Yeah. so it's at least 1200 hours worst case scenario it takes longer because we make you can buy you can go and buy a generic panel and there's, there's companies like Martin Roby who are fantastic we would not be here without those, without those suppliers but they'll give you a generic Series 1 E-type panel. Yeah. And they have got better because we, we I've also been pushing them with other, others to, can you please make a September in a flitch? And they are doing it. But it's still not right. It would be ro- probably right for... 90% of 90% of the restoration yeah. happening in the world and people build an early car and that's where they fit. What we do, we get that panel, we chase it, we extend it, we define it. Yeah. So it's more of a refined example of a recreation panel. And then we're marrying that to an existing bodywork. Or some cases, we have the, a, a, an original wing, and a new wing is £1,100. We might spend £5,500 in time mm. to make that wing go again. But by doing that, we're saving the original body. Yeah. And because, there's, because the body is technically the chassis, even though it's not, the preservation side of these bills now is so important because it's such a throwaway society on classic cars, cut it out, it's rotten, repair it. Yeah. But what we're doing is if something is that bad, we will try our best to go get another wing and reinstate original metal to metal. Yeah. So it's still a foreign object going to the car, but it's still a factory Brownsley 961 panels being reinstated. Mm-hmm. So we're, the preservation side is it, it's almost an open checkbook. If you want, it depends how far you want to go with it. Yeah, it's, well, you were um, showing me one car that's got the the extended arches that are riveted on. Yeah, it's nuts. But what <laughs> you what you were saying is that most places would effectively they'd make it as smooth as possible. Yeah. To kind of make it perfect, but what that does is it diminishes the hand built quality of it because. Correct. Yours has the slight imperfections from where it's been man- manually like, crushed, manually really. done together. Yeah, which is so much more authentic to making things in metal. Like yeah. metal, as we've said, it's a malleable object, and the process itself leaves marks in certain ways. Yeah. And that is the level of detail that you're doing this to. Like with the the depth of the, I forgot what they're called. The, uh, the swages and the, yeah, the bulkheads. In the yeah. bulkheads, like yeah. it's got to be a specific depth to match that yeah. year and yeah. the, the spot welds are in millimetre perfect lines yeah. so that the panel fits exactly the right and, and, so, like and sometimes the spot welder guy might have had a fang in his mouth and done 10 more spot welds there than he should have done we do, do, do you have to recreate we have to recreate that because um, yeah there's also interesting things like um, when you press something the tooling wears out yeah so you have a 1961 car 
a 1965 car will be less, it'd be much more of a shallow swage depth because the tooling's wearing. Right. So it can't so, press as deep. So when you see a when you see a body, it's when you ever see a body completely stripped out, shot blasted. So it's just a generic E-type body shell. I like to think I'm one of the few people who walk up to that and define the year and quarter of that year down to the swage depth in the tooling. Amazing. And, and it's very weird and anarchy. It's very um, anarchy. <laughs> but um, it probably brought everybody to sleep. What listen to this? But but that's what that's the level of detail we are doing as a company. Yeah. And luckily, that my team are just the best. And they, they don't think I'm nuts. And the customers think don't think we're nuts. Um, well, not to your face. Not yeah, to we'll go face to that point. guy because he's th- weird enough to do it to the level that we need this I, done to. I, we, we, we've got a... Um, we look after cars for... Um, we, we build cars for some really well-known guys. And the people who represent those 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 certain individuals we work for. Yeah. Um, we have a running joke where I send them an invoice and they don't really want to know what we've done because they just, they just know that... If I it, if there's a the halfway through reading it, it right, there's yeah. like we've done it right. There's no point. Yeah. Um, your invoice is going. Well, we've done this to this depth, and we've done this to this, and we've done seventeen spots. And I'm like, yeah, right, okay. We'll just assume that or, that's what's so, supposed to happen. I've got one customer who says it's like January build build E type. That's all they want. Yeah, and then there's some what we do on every invoice is we list out what's happened every day down to almost a millimeter level. So the the invoicing is treated as a diary. Yeah. Because then, and then from that diary, then we have a really lovely book made at the end of it. And um, I just love my job. <laughs> to be fair, <laughs> this is very job. similar. When I used to work, I used to be an accountant. Like I was doing my. Gosh, you're actually you're you're much cleverer than I am. No, I'm not. I'm just ADHD, and I just pick up hobbies. <laughs> so I, I fell into accounting. I failed my accountancy A level, or I got a D. Something like that. I got distracted by personal life, and it meant that I couldn't concentrate on my exams. So I just bumbled my way through yeah. got a scholarship or applied for a scholarship got a job at the place that the guy who got the scholarship got a job and they paid for my training anyway anyway it doesn't matter I was an accountant for three years when I left college and um, that is all you track every it yeah. was in seven and a half minute units because you yeah. put to seven and a half hour a day so you'd have ten units mm. a day and you if you were working on a job you'd have to put what yeah, you were doing in those minutes so if you did something for a few hours you could bulk it out for those few hours mm. so it's not quite as detailed as what you're doing mm. but it's very similar that you go well the time is the the commodity here and we need to say what we've been doing with our time to yeah. justify what we've been doing it, yeah, and the other thing is when we start the business you, you think yes we're building lovely classic cars all we're doing as a business and when you really boil it down is selling hours mm. so it takes us on a worst case scenario so let's say E-Type drove in or collected or sweeped up. Yeah. An E-type was pulled off the top of a shipping container. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's happened. Yeah. It, it, it's happened. Um, and we, the best E-types we've built or I've been involved with in my life have probably been the ones which were the worst to start off with. Um, but they were so original, that's why they're bad. They're rotten, but they were original. So yeah. you know, I would only have a Haynes product if it's full matching numbers. So cylinder head, engine block, even down the flywheel crank, Gearbox, gearbox top, bottom, and diff all matched. Yeah, and then a Haynes edition, a Haynes edition car is what we're calling the car, which are the the whole way takes three four years. Yeah, there we are. They're only for matching numbers cars, and they've so, got matching number headlights and windscreens yeah, and relays and, and, and all the dials. And when they don't, when they don't match, because somebody pulled out the fuel, you know, the fuel gauge back in seventy two because it went faulty and put an X ray six one in. Yeah, we will find the original. 
Or right. we'll find, we'll try, we, we won't be able to find the original, but we'll find a like-for-like like item. Um, but it's that level of detail which we, which, which we, which we go into on it. Um, but the, the, there's an element of common sense in the build, that's what I'm trying to explain. Um, I've lost my, I lost my thread a bit. But, uh, so you, I think the thread started on you sell time, basically. Yeah, so... Your time. Um, so not, basically all we do is sell time and the business sells the hours. Yeah. It just so happens that we build e-times. Yeah, yeah. Um, Every other business sells time for electrician or plumbing to sell time. Um, but ironically what we do, we, it, it does take three and a half thousand hours to build an e-time. Mm. To the right standard. Um, and, you know, we, we only charge £65 an hour on restoration work and with £75 an hour for service work. Yeah. So it's not, um, we're not horrifically expensive, it's just the time. It just takes a lot of those units. It just takes a lot of those units. Yeah. Because a, a normal, I go to Toyota and it's 150 quid an hour for labour. Yeah. And we have some people come in for, you know, come in for service work and they say, oh, you're cheap. I was like, yeah, we are cheap, but it is going to take us three days of service to retype. Yeah. Because mo- most people service need type, it's 500 quid and you do all the filter. What we do is basically drop suspension off. Mm. <laughs> with bonnets off, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. we do coolant flushes and diff, and we go through. Someone's everything. got a full service that you recommend having every ten years, and there's currently no engine in the car. And, uh, <laughs> it's sat an... next to the car, yeah. and the suspension's been disassembled, and it's yeah. got a brand new radiator. On. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that gentleman has about four hundred cars. Yeah, um, and it is when you don't use a car. A classic car. Classic cars. Cars are there to be used, and the worst thing you do with a car is go and drive it in the wet in February, and say, "Oh gosh, the seat's uncomfortable. Don't like that one. I'll drive the better one and leave it in the shed." Yeah. Because everything for the next year will just sit, and you know um, they're a nightmare. E-types are fantastic, but the maintenance of them is is immense. Yeah. So you're better off. What we I tell everybody is just do little and often. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't have to service your, your golf for. 15,000 miles, but you probably should do every six, seven thousand miles, because then you, 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 you're, that's when you get a golf at just three hundred thousand miles, not yeah, an engine at one hundred twenty thousand miles. I need some one in my car, Toyota. Then do you want some? <laughs> it's O twenty. Oh, well, I've got some kicking around for something. <laughs> I put five thirty in it because the service book said if you're going to drive it spiritedly, put yeah, thicker oil yeah. in, which I did, and then the bottom end went. And they said, well, you put thicker oil in. I went, well, that's what the service book says. And we had a big argument for six months until they agreed to fix it. Yeah, I think the service book was wrong there. Yeah. Um, you go for a thicker start point and a thinner end. Mm. Um, yeah, oils are fantastic. We're, we're, we're linked with motor oils and, right. and castrol. Um, and what I've learned, I thought I knew something about oils this year. <laughs> and then it turns out I knew very little about oil two years ago. Yeah, um, I can never remember the, which way around viscosity is. Whether a more viscous thing is thicker or thinner, <laughs> I think it is thicker. It is thicker, but yeah. <laughs> uh, no, oils are like, even even oils. Yeah, I've we've had engines come back, you know, after very little mileage, you know, a few thousand miles with scores and things, because the, the the bloody oils aren't right. Right. So um, you know, we 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 use one particular oil for everything. So we I use motor or castrol mainly motor now, um, purely because they're, they it's a great company. Um, and they were actually the first people to create a mineral oil, believe it or not. So I like the history of it. Um, you like your history, though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's bloody cold in here, isn't it? Would you like... Well, we should, turned should, the, should we turn the heater on? We turned it off because I couldn't get my laptop cable. There's another plug over there. there. Sorry for everyone listening. This is very much... It's OK. I'll plug this back in because Will's not from as far north as me, so he can't handle the cold. 
I think that's on. So I've got pansy posh chinos on. I'm uh, wearing and a, and a, jeans and a hoodie, so... You're sensible. I've, I've, I've gone for... I think that's on now. There we go. We'll get some heat back in. Sorry for everybody with that. That's okay. <laughs> to be fair, these often go on way more tangents, so we've done quite well to keep it somewhat on track. Right. And see, is there anything else you want to know about these times? <laughs> or Jaggers? Or classic cars? Oh. Okay, can I ask you a question? Yeah, you can ask me a question, because I have a lot of difficulty staying on track... And then my brain has a lot of difficulty coming up with questions. Okay. And then I'll go. I'll be on my way home, and like eight questions will pop into my head. Okay. So I'm going to try and spin. I'm going to try and spin this so this is relevant to what we, what we're doing here. Okay. If you think of Jaguars, so you think of my point of view. Yeah. If you think Jaguar, what do you think? Old person, middle-aged person, young person. I have a skewed perception of Jaguar because okay. I have young friends that have Jaguars. Cool. So I didn't grow up in a car family per se. Interesting. My family are interested in cars. So my granddad had old Rovers and Rolls Royces and he had an Austin 7 in his garage for the longest time that was always in bits and he was always promising to fix it when I was old enough to work on it with him. And then we moved to some barn conversions in the Derbyshire Dales and he sold it. So I, I was like 14. I was the prime Nine. age to learn how to fix this car. And he's like, oh, I needed to free up space in the garage, so I sold the Austin. I'm like, All these Time. years peering really, through his garage window at this old car. I really want the Austin. I James Wheeler's got an Austin 7. Has he? He's also got a Panda 4x4. Yeah, the Panda's So awesome. he has a lovely little green Austin 7. I guess I'll see him at Sunday at school. Yeah. Oh, he'll definitely be there. He's... His James panda was hilarious the other day. He was literally bouncing from one rut to the other. It's <laughs> rocking. It's just rocking and bouncing. It's brilliant. It's, it's, I yeah. saw him, it must have been the day after, because he said it was very muddy the day it was, before. It was disgusting. It was just mud. It was, it was spotless mud when I saw him at Brooklyn's. <laughs> you know, I was, I'm still digging out mud from our chassis in our laundry. As when, when, was the, when was you? So, um, Sorry. Will uh, went on an off-roading excursion with some friends and one of our mutual friends James has a Fiat Panda 4x4 and the number plate is A111 MUD so it says all MUD I might have asked him how much he wants for it yeah Um, I'm not surprised I bet you went it's not not for sale sale. (laughs) (laughs) I I hate the fact I love vanity number plates but I am a big I love vanity number plates I am fond of a vanity I have a private number plate on the Toyota what have you got T44 KNA that's quite, cool. that's quite cool. And then a friend of mine found a number plate that's way more relevant to my business idea. But I'm not going to say it because I'm going to buy it. Cool. But I don't have a car I can put it on. And my other half won't let me put it on her car. So I, there's a number plate out there that's perfect for me. And it's the start, same value as the Renault. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking about, we'll go back to the silly question later, but Amy and I did a really silly purchase, but probably the best purchase of our marriage. Um, we were, t- we were going down... H3YNE. Uh, no, Jag 61. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah it's, perfect. Um, yeah, it's on my, it's on my defender. You didn't want J444G or J444AG. Well, no, because I just think it would be on a really tired XJ somewhere, yeah. which is like worth three grand the on Facebook. The man with no wallet. Yeah, exactly. a big smoking jacket. Um, a typical Jag man everyone thinks of. Yeah. Um, no, Amy and I were. We, we've got a Mark One race car which we raced at Goodwood Revival last year. I remember that. Um, I was actually going to ask you about that. So yeah. you've pulled me back round onto one of my questions. Okay, good. See, I got distracted, and we got there. Now, how was the revival as an entrant and a racer? And oh because it seemed like you had a bit of drama with the car from memory. Yeah, um, Goodwood, as we all know, is 
pinnacle, isn't it? I, I think we all ironically think of January and we can't wait until September yeah. <laughs> because, because of the revival. Um, so, um, very emotional situation for me. So we got asked about a year ago to, well, almost exactly a year ago, uh, by a customer who, won, who basically bought, bought this racing Mark One, dark green, 3.4, triple Webers, uh, triple HD8 carbs, just a weapon. Uh, it's done revival six, seven times. Very, very well-known race car. Um, and it's green, so that's all. That's the main important thing, obviously. Um, and we spent a year on R&D and development. So new half shafts, gearbox rebuild, suspension rebuild, you name it, we went to town on this car. Because um, it was the first time in 50 years the Haynes name had prepped a Jaguar for racing. Amazing. So there's a big emotional... Yeah, you've you know, got to want to get that right. Um, I'm very, care- very, very careful that... I don't step in the coattails of my family's name. But certainly when you go to an event like that, uh, it, it felt very special, yeah. especially as we also, you know, we are potentially looking after D-types, C-types this year and next year as well. So there's quite a lot, it had a lot of the people who needed to watch us watching me for that weekend because if we pull that off, I've basically that's a, that's a ticket to saying, yes, you're capable of doing the next thing. Yeah, it reignites the, na- the name's reputation within the current crop of yeah, engineers or, or, and, and, and owners yeah. and um, as a company as well it was a huge thing and there aren't many two year old startup companies racing in the St Mary's no um, I did well there wasn't there was just me and our team <laughs> so um, just sat there going how the hell have I ended yeah it was this a bit like that and normally I'm following my wife being the handbag watching everyone yeah see she's running around taking photos of everything and you're just stood there going well this is all very lovely isn't it um, so now I've been going to revivals since I could even right. remember so it was, I need to correct that you're normally lying underneath the e-types finding the chassis yeah <laughs> being hit by the owner saying you utter stop anyway. critiquing my car <laughs> I was like well, it's really come to us you know, shouldn't you anyway uh, hustling on the grass um, yeah, so revival's important um, fantastic Set start. We did track day with David Brabham, who was driving the car for us with chap Cam Jackson. And David Brabham, you know, he won them all. He, he's he's a good guy. Yeah, it's a well known name. Yeah, he's um, as a person, he's wonderful. His wife's also neither. But as a pair, they are just lovely people. And on top of that, he's just probably the most fluid racing driver I've ever dealt with. Um, a lot of respect for him. And, and he got in the car saying, "Yes, yeah, a damn good car." And we were so within half a half a second split from the top three. Oh, amazing! So from an out of the box car, virtually. Yeah, with our development over the year, um, yeah, we we were we would have come in the top five. Amazing. So we went out there not to win, but to be just prove yourselves. Yeah, yeah. basically we went to going we went to revive thing. We could be on the podium, uh, and and that would have been like insane. Um, I rolling. I always like fidgeting, which is my lesson learned for Goodwood. When the car's set up, just leave it alone. If you set it up a month before, just leave it alone. Just yeah. drain the fuel, put new fuel in it, and go. Don't. And I was sleepless. I was like hot sweats before the whole week leading up to it because it's something. It's my bucket list to prepare a car for Goodwood. Yeah. Um, and um, rolling road in the morning, we were cock on because we changed a few things on the carbs the day before because it wasn't quite right. And you always have you always try to find that edge, aren't you? Rolling road it and we pinned it. It was absolutely like we Perfect. were there. Is this the car that you brought to the Haggerty Hill climb? Yes. So I have seen this car. Yeah. Um, I just burnt tyres all day. Yeah, and I was in a 2014 Toyota because my Renault still wasn't working. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> well, yeah, so you saw me making a fool of myself at, at Chelsea. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, so basically, uh, as I was leaving the workshop, in the trailer, all the kit in the, in the van already down there with the rest of my team, and I was here with my other side of the team, just in the last few things, in the trailer, down the Goodwood, unload, go to scrutineering, 
and go and watch the cricket. Um, as I drove it, I started it, moved out the workshop and, and basically had it idling and just let it roll down the hill. And I parked it by the, by the trailer and got out of the car, got to the winch, and I heard the noise change of the engine, and uh, we dropped a valve oh. on idle. So um, I don't think I've ever felt more emotional, like gut-wrenching, because yeah. the cost of getting the car to Goodwood is a year's R&D. Then you've got the owner of that car who's got his whole family from all around the world to be there. So this whole trip is like, you're talking thousands and thousands of pounds yeah, for yeah. a 40-minute race. Yeah. It, it auto over the weekend. So you're, you think, what, what the hell are we going to do? Um, you know, ball scope to, yeah, it's done. Engine's done. Toast. Total toast. So um, put the car in the trailer, put an engine crane, put the rest of my toolbox back in the Land Rover, and just started driving down the Goodwood saying, well, we've got to go. Because if, if we don't go, we'll never be invited back. Yeah, yeah. And as a company, damn well we're being there. You know, even if the car, car's just left in the, in, the, in the paddock, it's still there. Yeah. And we still get the call board later. Yeah, exactly. Um, on the way down, um, I was uh, phoning friends in, in the trade saying, has anyone got a spare race engine? As you do. As you do. <laughs> and um, luckily, Grant Williams, who runs by one, who's... Um, really 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 fantastic family uh he had a spare lumpy fast road spec road sash race engine which is what he does he he uses it to do um uh, just like burnouts in basically yeah, yeah shows and um that sort of thing it's his burner engine the burner engine so um literally on the tarmac i got we got there for like six by eight we were car axle stands by about ten thirty. engine was out right by three o'clock, the new engine was in. Amazing. Um, I sort of had it running by five in the morning. The rest of the... So I basically did it... I was up at 6.30 on the th- Thursday. By up, you mean you just didn't sleep? Or did you have an hour? Like, so, I was, so, yeah, so more normal working day, 6.30, got for seven, did full working day. And then... Then, with, then did a, another full day fitting this engine out on tarmac at Goodwood under floodlights... And it's quite eerie. Yeah. And um, so then scrutinizing at 7.15 with a running engine. And scrutinizing is a fair play because I think we did a full full XK yeah, yeah. engine swap without a ramp. Overnight. Overnight. Did a full night In a car park. And then I, I had to stay up because then we, our first outing was 9.15. So we went straight into practice, <laughs> 9.15 on the Friday morning. And I'd been up. So I think I did a 52-hour day. Oof. To, 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 to get the car running. Yeah. Um, and then after Friday, the car wasn't running right because the carbs we had didn't work with the car, the engine we borrowed. Yeah. So I got a set of carbs literally in a box of bits. So we had to swap all the guts out and so we did a complete carb rebuild on my bench with head torches on at five in the morning to get the car running. And I spent the whole Saturday, Friday, Saturday trying to get the car running right. Jeez. Um, it was the most amazing, most amazing experience because everybody helped. Yeah. You know, 10 tents from Nick Mason's guys gave me some plastic metal to... I had a water pump fail, which I had to fill with plastic metal to make it go round and... God, this is a fan belt snapped. Trial, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. And then just loads of things. Around fuel, because the fuel pump packed up. That's a brand new fuel pump. Like, all the things which could have gone wrong yeah, yeah. went wrong in the space of 60 hours. Um, Saturday, we, we qualified. Uh, I think we're, like, on the 20th of the grid. Right. And on the sun... And we pulled in because the water pump failed. Brand new water pump. 
Like you just can't even make this, this stuff up. And anyway, by Sunday we got it working, and um, and we had a f- two or three people just came out of nowhere to help. Yeah. And I, by that time, I was just mentally exhausted because I just hadn't slept for three days. Um, and we ended up being ninth. That's amazing. So we, we're from a complete no, non-starter, no engine. Uh, That's on incredible. the Thursday. We did the whole of the Good Weekend with an engine swap, and then became in the top ten outright. Do you um, have photos from this period of you guys going through these Literally, Amy, Amy photographed the whole thing, and that's, that was us on the Sunday. It's, I am going to... It's all something we put on Instagram, and I did a whole vlog on it on Instagram. Yeah. Um, I'm going to... I'll speak to a couple of friends in... Uh, there'll be friends that you have and that Amy has, but I, I really feel like that needs putting some written down somewhere in a magazine or something. So it, 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 was, it was the most... I literally tears thinking about it. When, when I've had two emotional times in my life, one was getting married. <laughs> and they both happened last it's year. Here. And then um, when we got halfway around the Sunday and we were in the top ten, following, and we had Chris Harris behind us. Yeah. And we were like, we were on it. Like we were. This this smart one was coming out coming out of chicane in full drift at like six thousand. There'll be RPM. footage of this. Oh I'll yeah, have it's, 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 it isn't yeah. I'll, I'll send it to you. But when the car went past and every lap we weren't coming in, we we're going faster and faster and faster. I could the emotion and when we when the car went over the finish line, check a flag. And this is the last race of the weekend on the Sunday, so it's yeah. the last race of Goodwood. Um, I I don't think I've ever melted. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I I totally. Totally, <laughs> I've never felt. Um, I've just never felt that emotion. That must have been so elating. It was the, it was the, the, it was the singularly the worst and one of the best things that ever happened to me yeah. in my life, all crammed into three days. Well, this is one of the things that people don't necessarily appreciate about bad things. Mm. So, when this first started, devastation, yeah, complete devastation. And then you go through the right, well, it's not going to get better if I cry about it. So no, you, we've got to pull yeah. a finger out and see what we can do. And then you, you kind of you knuckle down and you, you go through that process and you go through the trials and the tribulations and the hard work and the sleeplessness and the fear and the anxiety and all of that horrible... It, it's an awful feeling. Yeah, yeah. I've not had anything quite as ex, uh, yeah. extreme as what you've gone through, but you go through a lot of this. And if anyone's ever had a car break down when they're trying mm. to get somewhere important you get a bit of a sense as to what this feels like. Yeah. And then you magnify that because it's your debut at Goodwood. <laughs> like, well, I, 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 yeah, I, I've been very, very lucky. And uh, I've had three or four major, major, major traumatic things happen in my life. Mm-hmm. A, professionally, and then B, personally. Yeah. And each time you have something like that happen, you, a lot of people can't pick themselves up. And they, they create excuses. Where Amy and I were very similar, why we're married, is that we're both people who we can get knocked down and we just get back up again. Yeah. But that gets harder every time. But then the bit when you're sort of above knee height yeah, gets yeah. easier. Um, and that's what, and Goodwood, without, if I didn't have the experience of starting the business from nothing, I probably wouldn't have had the strength to pull it off in front of a hundred odd thousand people. Yeah. Um, and, and, for the t- and the name to be on the back of our boiler suits with pride at Goodwood was... Um, you know, I I kissed David Brabham on the pit lane <laughs> because we were just so like I, the, the emotional was, connection. Honestly, yeah. it was just it's just just insane. But um, it, I, this is what I mean. Like if you'd have gone there yeah. first time, car runs fine, nothing went wrong. 
It's a yeah. great moment, right? You've like that's easy. Yeah, <laughs> you, you're not going to have this no this it, connection to that yeah. that you've got now from all the difficulty. And it's one thing that a lot of people don't necessarily appreciate, and it's very hard to, especially in the moment, mm. the the crap and the difficult mm. stuff and the tough stuff. It's what strengthens character. It what yeah. really builds you as a person to be able to weather the other stuff. Yeah, I, I, I've similarly to you. I've been through some stuff that's not great. Mm. And if it weren't for that, I wouldn't be as tough-skinned as I am. Yeah. I wouldn't be as confident as I am in talking yeah. to people. I, I wouldn't approach random celebrities mm. and go, you want to sit down and chat for an hour? Because I'd be too scared of mm. that, and like, oh, my God, it's so-and-so. Whereas because of some of the stuff that I've done and some of the, the difficult things that I've been through, my brain is now like, well, the worst-case scenario is they say no. Yeah, literally. That's it. And isn't it amazing... Sc- it's like a superhuman power. Mm. When, so, when you say, okay, I'm going to this scenario, worst case is I die. Yeah. Or best case, this happens. And if you accept, if you can accept death is probably a bit extreme, but if you have a situation that, oh, they won't like me, or that meeting won't work, or that conversation won't work, yeah. that's worst case. Everything else is positive. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you know, Amy and I, the whole company, we're all so positive, but we're also realistic. Yeah. If something's not going to work, it's not going to work. And if something's going to work, we'll give it a go. Yeah, exactly. Um, you, know, you have to be. You have to be baseline positive. I've been in the situations where if it goes south, it could be death. Yeah, and once you're you've filled, been yes, in that situation, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. like, well, everything else is just relative, then, isn't it? Well, you're, you're if actually, I get yeah. this wrong, that person's not going to die. Well, you you actually are a grown up because you you have worked. <laughs> you, you've actually would, worked in the healthcare I service. In that so. service when I wasn't a grown up. That's the problem. It was that yeah. service that kind of. It's it's not. It didn't make me a grown up. That's not really where I've matured. But it did put a lot of life into perspective. Mm. And it did teach me a lot of the skills that I now use when I, I'm talking to people and when I'm trying to make a positive difference. And a lot of the relative stuff that I do is from that world. Mm. But when I was working there, I was, what, like 23, 24? Yeah, it's young to be in that environment. That's Yeah, young. and not only that, I'd been dealing with a lot of stuff at home, so it was an escape. And when you're that age... There's a lot of kind of, this is quite dangerous, I'm doing something dangerous, aren't I cool, I'm doing something yeah. dangerous. Which is the wrong approach, like, realistically, if you're in that environment, you should be there to help, which I was, and fundamentally that's mm. what drives and motivates me, is helping and making a positive impact. But in the heat of those moments, the adrenaline is such an overpowering thing, yeah. it's kind of addictive, and it's very dangerous to get addicted to that, because mm. then you seek out that. Yeah. And then you're in an environment where you're supposed to be doing something and you're like, yeah, well, if it all kicks off, we'll get a bit of a rush out of it. Like, it's a real dangerous line to walk. I suppose that's what it's you know, changed subject. That's, that's the line of addiction, isn't it? Yeah. It, it's, it's the Kremlin of your brain saying, I want this, but you don't need it. Yeah, yeah. And then you know, it, it's a, the psychological of, of, of brain studies is, is insane. Yeah. Um, Amy's very into it. and um, I suppose I'm in it because as soon as you understand yourself, and then if you if you can then understand, try and understand people and then help other people, understand why someone's been difficult or overly happy, yeah. then you can un- understand how people, how people are. And the, the best thing I've learned in the last couple of years creating this thing um, is what is a me problem mm. and what is a you problem. And as soon as you, had, you, know, you have sometimes you have situations where somebody wants something from you and they make it a you problem. I was like, no, actually, this is very much a you problem. Yeah. You know, you can't, you can't, you can't do that without, without doing this. So, the best thing I've learned 
from understanding myself is what is a me problem, what is a you problem. Yeah, and, people and, don't like the phrase that sounds like a you problem though. I've said that yeah. a couple of times. It often escalates the situation. Well, it, maybe it does, but sometimes, you know... <laughs> people need to hear it. People need to hear it. Yeah. And, and the closest people you have in life is the people who tell you things that you don't want to hear. Yeah. And I've had conversations recently with friends that have been in somewhat difficult places and also non-receptive. So I've had to kind of had points where I go, look, I'm saying this as your friend, but you're doing things that aren't good for yourself. Yeah. You're making a very bad decision right now because I can see yeah, this can, from the outside perspective yeah. and I care enough about it to tell you. Because mm. people who don't care won't tell you because they've not got yeah. a real stake in the game. Yeah. So they'll just say what you want to hear so that you'll be their friend still. Yeah. Whereas a, someone who's a real friend will go, look, that's not great. You're doing something that's harmful. Yeah. Well, that's a true, that's a true friendship and honesty and integrity. And that, that, that flows through life. Mm. Um, you know, I've told customers that they've spent a lot of money and they've been gone, or they've, they've bought something and it's no good. And it's really hard because somebody might, you know, we've got a customer who thought the world of his car, um, you know, used it a lot and you know, came to us and I knew the car. And I had to tell him, I'm really sorry, we're, we're, we're into best part of a year's worth of metalwork here because the car's glued together, mm. <laughs> you know, quite literally. Yeah. And to manage that person, that, that, that intellect, that, that person who's in the, that bracket of wealth, yeah, yeah. who always gets told yes to everything, it's a very, very difficult position because no one ever told you how to deal with that scenario. No. Because you're suddenly not dealing with what we do is we're suddenly dealing with people's emotion and these cars are people's private lives, not their work lives. It's family. As soon as you go into a product which is now family orientated, yeah. you're not dealing with the CEO, you're dealing with the person. Yeah, yeah. And that's been fascinating. That's been I can imagine, yeah. Um, I've come home and think, how the hell do you go around this one? Um, you know, I've also, in the early days, went to therapy, which I was very, not doing therapy, no good, not for me, I'm really strong-minded. And I cracked in my like, first session. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I had to do that um, for me to understand myself better, for me to be able to represent and understand my customers better, to be a better boss mm. and be a better leader and be a better business owner. Be more uh, well-rounded, right, well-rounded, and yeah. so you have to. Be, I'm, I'm very pro mental health because I, you know, I, I, I had to go down that route, to the point where I was basically almost broken mm. to then understand the situation. Well, you did yeah. what you do with your cars. You take them back down to the bare yeah, exactly. shells and you start putting them back together. And it's only in the unpacking you start to see the connection between things. And, and to round it off, you know, everybody. Every car needs a service, and every mind, every person needs a service. Yeah. And you know, if that's going for walking, or if going walking dog, or you're going fishing, or racing city cars, or going to see a therapist, or a good friend, everyone needs a service. Yeah. And going back to the rev thing, sorry, as a total flip round to it, singly the best thing to happen last year was the revs mm. rebuild of Land Rover because everyone started communicating about it. And the the project has given people a real open door to go I, I don't think I can build on this but can I just sit and have yeah. five minutes and we've seen people that have come down and it's happened to me and I'll be the first to say it and I, in fact I think it's probably a better thing that I say my personal experience than try and put other people's experience into my perspective I've been down on days and I've been feeling really crap and I haven't really thought that I was feeling really crap mm. until I've stopped and gone oh actually I feel rough yeah. and then I've gone down to try and take some photos do some videos and I've not picked the camera up the whole time because I've been tinkering or helping or yeah. giving people a bit of advice from what I know on how to 
like engineered mm. metal and stuff because like, I did some metal work growing up. Yeah. So I've got a bit of an understanding, and I had an old mini as a first car, so you have to learn yeah, how to put stuff together. Yeah. <laughs> so if yeah. someone's never picked up a set of spanners before, they're not necessarily going to know the best mm. way to approach it. Just something as simple as putting a bolt together. Yeah. And it, it's it was so rewarding for me to be able to come away and go, oh. That Land Rover didn't look like that this morning. Yeah. It looked completely different, and yeah. we've come together and made a difference. And I've been able to get my hands on something, and I've been able to help people learn something mm. new, and this and the other. And I hadn't realised how much of a positive impact that had had for oh. me until yeah. I'd done it, and I'd gone, oh, "I feel way better now. Yeah. This is actually really good." Yeah, is um, is that mental stimulation of that? Yeah, I I, I I come into office and I start this business because I was good in the spanners mm. and you end up running a business and um, you know, yesterday I did 12 minutes on the spanners <laughs> and my workshop manager Dave who's just the best person ever um, you know, he said just put your headphones in literally just do some spanners because the boys can see when I get worked up and worked up and worked up yeah. and all I need to do I don't need to go for a run I'm going to end up really fat one day because I'll just go and do some spanners yeah, yeah. because that, that's how I mentally check in on myself yeah. I put my airpods on listen to podcasts your podcasts as well and uh, you know I'll go and put an inlet manifold on or whatever yeah, yeah one of the things I miss about where we live now compared to where we used to live is that my friend with a workshop isn't half an hour away anymore yeah so I can't go oh, I'm just going to do this and pop down and borrow a ramp for an afternoon yeah. I, I, I did the coilovers on the 86 in, on one of their ramps and this was before I'd properly met Luke's dad and Luke's dad I, I, I had met him before when I bought the Renault and I took it down to him and said look I've tried to do two of the spark plugs I haven't got the right tools for it could you just do the other two spark plugs for me and give the car a once over? I'd only just bought it. I was like, I'll, I'll do the spark plugs and the filters. And I cross-threaded one of the spark plugs because I didn't so have the right tool. Yeah. It's, a, it's a very different angle than this. Yeah. yeah. So when I first took the car down, I'd never met Luke's dad, and it was go and wait in reception. We'll take the car in the workshop. We'll come and call you when it's ready. And they walked in and they're like, well, I'm really sorry to say you've cross-threaded the spark plug. You're not driving it home because you might damage it. You... You're going to have to get a lift. My other half worked down the road, so I just had yeah. to sit in their reception and wait for it to finish work. And it was all very proper. Yeah. And it was very intimidating because Luke's dad is from like Dagenham. And he's a big former bodybuilder, mechanic, runs this big workshop full of blokes. Yeah. He's like, okay, yes, sir. Sorry, <laughs> sir. He's actually a big teddy bear. Yeah. Like, he's so lovely. But by the time I took the 86 coilovers in, I was allowed to borrow a ramp. To the like, they've got a smaller workshop to the side that was like an old MOT bay. Yeah, cool. So I go in there and do your coilovers. So I was like, all right, okay. So I took all the wheels off and stacked them all up, and then put all the bolts together, and then took the old um, bottom control yeah. arms off, put them to one side, lined all the bolts up with where the holes are, so I knew which bolts went where. Yeah. And his dad's office was above this bit, and he came walking past and just kind of nosed over everything. He's like, and. Uh, Another friend of mine's been restoring a 944 there for a couple of years. And he's messy. It's just parts yeah. everywhere. It's like, I have no idea how he knows what any of this stuff is. He went, you know, uh, you know Liam? I was like, yeah. He went, you might have got the wheels off by now. And then just walked off. And I was like, I think that was a compliment. I think I, I, think I, I mean, was a compliment. Yeah. So I was chatting to Luke about it. He went, yeah, he really likes you. I was like, what do you mean? He went, he saw how neat and tidy everything was. Like, you were doing everything properly. And he's got a lot of respect for that. Yeah. I was like... Well, he's got a funny way of showing it, <laughs> but it was so therapeutic just to be able yeah. to go down there, lift my car up, take all the stuff off, put everything out on the floor, 
put it all back together yeah. with the new bits on, drop it back down and drive it. And it's yeah, so it's, good for your mind. Yeah. If anything had gone wrong, it would have ruined my whole week. I'd have been yeah. like, right, it's absolutely ruined. I'm done. Let's go. Let's stuff this. I'll get a it, new car. It, 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 I, I totally agree. I think the bit where I struggle with... Uh, with here is that there's always another project. So you, yeah. you spend two years building a car, and that's your life. And then you suddenly have to like bang next day motivation. Brand new car. <laughs> um, you have to go into the next one. Yeah. Um, and um, I think that's where most people crumble because in the companies they have a very short time where they're very very good. Because I think you go through, yes, we're doing it, we're doing it, doing it, doing it. Now we know how to do it, a really good job of it. And then it tears off because they get bored. Yeah. I've had to energise. The reason I do E-Type is because I just adore them. Mm. And then when I get bored of E-Type, I go home and I wake up and I was like, I'm a Haynes, the family silver. That's the motivation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Restart. So I have like a, I have like an extra jetpack on me. You've got a reserve tank. We have a reserve there, tank. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, starting the business, oh my goodness, the reserve tank was, we were on the red light a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, we were, when we first started it, I drove all around the country with a borrowed trailer and a really shit 03 play Range Rover we bought for like a couple of grand. Oh, it wasn't the free Freelander then? Uh, no, the, the, <laughs> the Translandy. Um, that's a completely different that's a, story. I'll save that one for the that's episode a good with Amy. Here. Yeah, Amy will tell you that much better than I did. That's just, so I, when I low. first met Amy was to do the, or when I first met her properly was to do the Driven Chat. Yeah. And that was when they were recording at Caffeine Machine. Yeah. And it was about the day or two after she got that free <laughs> god that was funny but it was, with, it was so we doubled up so they recorded with me and Richard Porter on the yeah. same day so I, I got to meet Richard Porter cool and Amy and John and Alex Goy was yeah. there for the I Love You Man yeah, yeah, so I was yeah. stood in the caffeine machine bar with all these people from the industry that I knew and respected yeah. and, all that, and I was like fuck am I doing here? And then Amy was like, I've got to give that freelander, it's awful. And it just completely brought everything down to this common level of, oh, we're all just car people who like it was, the, it was the shittest but the best thing yeah. that happened. Um, we, we were, Amy's part of a group, it's no longer, it's called Tarkicking Club, which is run by George, George Bamford, who's, yeah. um, he makes watches, a really lovely, lovely, lovely chap. And he did an off-roading day yeah. around Christmas time. And um, the design design guys and the people who run, um, uh, crikey, my head's gone. Uh, it's not Harrods, it's the other one. Um, no, I don't know enough. Basically, it's, um, it's, a, it's a... Big department Big department store. store in London. Selfridges. Selfridges, there. Um, and, um, yeah, you tell I shop there all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Best pals. <laughs> basically, they were very much London. Yeah. And they got told to come on this trip. And uh, they bought the shittest 4 by 4 they could buy <laughs> for, like, £1,000 in, like, Kensington. <laughs> and, and drove this thing up. Lander. And it, it completely drops its transfer box out. Yeah. And, um... We ran in two-wheel drive, but at the time, ironically, it was our only working car. So we're running around in a one-prop-driven front-wheel drive. Because <laughs> wasn't the Freelander basically a Mondale lifted? In its to be fair, it was quite a, yeah, sort of. But it was actually a really good car. Right. Um, but it was rated the least reliable car on sale I, for a fair few years. I think it was. Yeah. <laughs> but it was actually, weirdly, Not for its time, design-wise, it's quite clever. But um, yes, yeah, so we've done loads of funny things. Starting the business, we had no money. Yeah. Um, we had all the benches came off face of marketplace all the racking came from face of marketplace we just painted for days just like endless painting in the workshop and so you know we started very 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 humble beginnings two and a half years ago similar to how you started in your actual working career with it a mirrored image yeah um and i'm I'm so proud of amy because amy's vat savings from amy shore photography bought the ramp and paid Mm. for the rent and so without amy you know amy 
was totally pivotal to making this happen. You had to marry her, really. You I had, couldn't. Yeah, uh, kept man. Right? Yeah, you, you, you to, couldn't get away with all cheap, that. As soon as you get married, then what's the pair back? Yeah. Um, no, I'll make her director, and then the business owners are. No, <laughs> no, but no. It, honestly, Amy, Amy's very much involved with all this, and um, no, she is. Yeah. When we were looking around the cars, she immediately jumped in with, "Well, this is what we're doing. This is what we're planning. Yeah, Amy, this Amy, is the ideas. This is if, what's going on." If, I, if I'm no longer here, Amy will run this. Mm-hmm. You know, it, um, it's a family business. You yeah. Know, it, it's it's we're. we're we're now running this so you know we can afford to have children and live life a bit. Um, the things you have to do to afford kids these days. Yes, exactly. My other half's got a doctorate, I'm starting my own business, and you've started a whole family business. Also that we can just have kids because it's so expensive it's to weird. Yeah, that's another story when that switch happens. I was there trying to buy, you know, turbocharged MGVs and yeah. trying and trying to get try and buy an E type from thirty. In fact I've you know um, but I'm very, very proud of what we've done. Um, oh, brilliant. Um, you know, it's, it's been quite an incredible journey, and it's just a, it's just the whole thing has been an absolute learning curve. I think the best thing about life doing this before you're thirty is total naivety. Hmm. You, you, you know, if anybody told us what we've had to go through financially and emotionally to to do this, yeah. you would never do it. A bit like what you're doing. It's total naivety. I'm trying is, is, to be sensible. Oh, don't be sensible. Once. Just do naivety. No, it works. So we've just bought a house. So now I've got a mortgage. And I do this one day a week and the weekends. And then I work for a hotel and golf course, managing yeah, the socials, yeah. doing the design, like doing yeah, yeah, the sure. skills so that I've learned how to do with this. But that's more of a like a job yeah. that pays my portion of the mortgage. Yeah. And my endless goal is I just need to get to the next step so I could do this full time. And there's always a little bit of me that goes, but what if you just made that leap and that was gave you enough time to make it grow? Mm. And then I, I, I'll spend a week or so off work just trying to do bits. I'm like, well, it's not magically happened, so I'll go back to <laughs> it, it takes time. <laughs> yeah, it really and you're does. You're doing a really good job. I mean, it's fantastic. You know, it is, what you're doing is amazing. And it's taking you, know, you've got to remember, you know, as I said earlier, this, is, this has taken 10 years. Mm. To, to be able to start my own business, you know, I would have failed in month three if I hadn't done the ten years previous. True, no, I understand. So uh, it does it does take does take a while. And we're not there yet. The new unit is a massive massive step up. Um, you know, we now we're now building cars how I want them in the space how I want them to be. Yeah, but I guarantee in six months time I'll be annoyed I haven't got a bigger shed. Um, but unfortunately, there's no more connecting units. Yeah, you've just, got both sides. I might now. go down. <laughs> <laughs> but I just do. landlord won't know if I put just go straight down. Yeah, through all the concrete exactly uh, but yeah so it's um, we're a very open book here so to kind of round us towards an end and because I have a professional duty that I haven't done um, it's scramble this weekend yes which will be two weekends ago when this goes out woohoo so one of the things with scramble is obviously the community and the people yeah we've touched upon Goodwood as well yeah. now the reason these two events are connected f- for me personally is um, my friends that are involved with Mission Motorsport have got a Goodwood replica Skeletrix that's going to be at the Scramble. Cool. Which is immensely like cool. actually Goodwood laid out. It is a... I'll find a photo for you and I'll put this on the Patreon for people because I've got one of those now if you didn't already know. Okay. Um, not that I expect you to know but people who listen might not have heard of it and it's another way for me to try and make this a full-time thing. <laughs> so, um, so it's a good... So basically, it, is, it, it does is, mirror Goodwood. It's going to scramble this coming Sunday, which is two weeks, t- uh, two weeks behind everyone Two else. weeks behind us now, but it is an actual Goodwood. Oh, my goodness. It's got the pits, it's Land- got the grass, it's got the corners, oh, it's, it's got huge. the chicane. 
Oh, it's actually yeah, big? Yeah, it's massive. So it's going to be in the okay, Haggerty... Okay, so this is like the size of a tennis court for anybody who's listening. Yeah. This is a big, quite a big thing. It'll be in the um, Haggerty Clubhouse on Sunday. Okay, well, so that's... So I'm going there tomorrow to go and have a play before it's full of people. I'm really jealous. And to record an episode of the podcast with one of the guys well, I, I, from scared, the scared, I think everybody needs a scare electric track. So that brings me round to my professional duty of what is your connection with scale electrics growing up did you have a kit do you have a kit now uh, do you want th- what it doesn't matter who, where you are in the world you can smell a scale electrics <laughs> just the burnt out the, elements. you can smell it you know, <laughs> so got scale electrics here. there's a christmas tree at risk <laughs> yeah um so i think the scale electrics for me is actually the smell sensation right okay yeah. which is quite a bizarre way of thinking but for me that's like scale electric there's no yeah, it's one of those that you smell it and you take like in ratatouille where you yeah, smell yeah, exactly. the perfect ratatouille and he's a child again uh, i am um, i think growing up i had a my dad my my, my dad had a, a problem where he loves scale electric trains oh yeah um, so dad said the boys have got a scale electric trains actually my dad's scale electric train set and it's getting it's quite a mega thing actually yeah, yeah. Uh, but, and we had this we had the car scale electric uh, so we had the Hornby and the scale electric side, which was inside all this fantasy world of trains, and it was mega. We that basically it, mega. it was quite cool. It was probably the size of probably the size of my office actually. It was quite a cool thing. We're not in a small office. It was, so, it was good yeah. size, um, and I think I had like the Colin McRae uh, Subaru, and I had Hamilton. I had like a long. They've done a new version of the Colin McRae Subaru, they? complete with like mud. Oh really? And oh, that's lights cool. And things. Um, I grew up as a boy and teenager. With scale electrics, yeah, um, I just I loved it, um, and it was really my escapism into my little world. So as a grown up, I haven't got a scale electric, but um, I think we've got a spare bedroom, which <laughs> is definitely going to be filled with something soon. Well, when you have kids as well, you get to relive all that. You get to become what your dad did. Yeah, yeah, I've got them a, a Hornby train set and scale electrics <laughs> just because I know they love it. It's like that's a two year old child. Like, they're not going to. Well, they've yeah, got like got a, a racing simulator as well. Yeah, <laughs> I, I also think scale electrics cool because everyone's. Yeah, I'm not a big gamer. Mm. I've never been. I don't know why I haven't been. But I've never been. I don't like getting into a fantasy world. It's because I've, I've got too much to do in the real world. It's yeah, just like, you're how just too busy for games. I've always because I've always even doing cars or farming. There's always been something lambing or something broken or something needs to be fixed. So weirdly, I, I didn't go into that world. Yeah, I think it's quite rare these days. But scale electric world, you're still in this world, but you still get to play. And you've got a thing that you can interact with, haven't you? You've got a, a tangible object that burns out and stinks. And you can actually like burn rubber. Yeah. And like you know, and you they can... do smash, and you have to be careful. And it's actually quite skillful to get one round quickly. Yeah, I found out the other day. So Scale Electric very kindly sent me a track and a couple of cars. <laughs> cool. And I've got the Porsche that's on the back of this hoodie. The but it's not the Jägermeister one. It's a blue one because they didn't have any Jägermeister ones left because they sold them all because they're so popular okay. which I'm not surprised by I found out that the front bumper fo- falls off if you crash it oh, well, which yeah. I didn't know until I launched it across the kitchen and it, <laughs> the bumper came off I was like oh I've broken it I've only had it a day I've got some super glue in my cupboard <laughs> no it's it's a detachable part oh sure. yeah this, oh, this little good. section of the front bumper just comes out and you could put it back in again Someone thought about that. Someone has. They're like, they're going to crash these. Let's make it feel like a bit more realistic. And it's got lights mm. and everything that all, when you accelerate, yeah, the lights me, come you've off. Got, and... You've got me, I'm going to go buy a Skeletra circuit. Well, Sunday, go into the Haggerty thing and have a look at the Goodwood one. Do you reckon they make me an E-type one? I don't, it's all about licensing, I think. So when you... was if you got the patent? I imagine if you've got the patent, you can probably you get could one. Do, do, yeah, so it's, maybe Jagger might be upset. but It can... might be, but you go, oh, my granddad was the guy behind this, so come on. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. I think, or just I find think, I think, I think there's, there's some scale electrics wheels under that lovely metal model you've got there. And it, it won't move because the metal's too heavy, but... 
<laughs> yeah. No, I, I think we. I think it's cool. I think um, we need to actually find out in the child a bit. Um, yeah. So. I, th- I think, like you've said with um, gaming, stepping into the fantasy world is it's a great escape. I feel like there's a certain thing with physical toys. Yeah. That yeah. have a real, like, benefit that's not tangible. Mm. There's something about being able to pick something up and look around it and take it apart and feel it. I think it it's the and... risk factor. Because mm. if you get shot in a game, you're not dead. Yeah. It's a bit of an extreme. But if you crash your skelet train, your um, car, and it comes off and you break the motor and it's crashed, you have to save money to buy that. Yeah, yeah. So the element of risk is real. And that's what I like about non school games mm. it is real and you actually understand you know there's the consequences of your actions and yeah, yeah. in the gaming I feel sometimes there aren't apart from your own ability to perform better next time yeah um, so yeah I, I'm a big fan of it I, one I thing I'm finding I've got a little driving rig yeah cool in my spare bedroom yeah nice because we've not got kids yet so I've still got a spare bedroom I purposely have my car on there Cool. Because I take my car round track every so often, it has been really good for me to learn how to like exit corners better. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was at Blyton a few weeks ago, and on the sighting laps, I put the throttle down with a bit too much lock and like full like ninety degree turn, yeah. almost a spin on the sighting laps. And I had my friend who's a race instructor in the passenger seat because he wanted to have a go in an eighty six. Mm. He's like, you know what you did wrong there. I was like. Not 100%, but clearly something between the steering input and the throttle. You, went, you would too much throttle on too much steering lock. If you'd have just steered a little bit less and been a bit lighter, that wouldn't have happened. Yeah. And going on the gaming rig, because it's realistically very, they're good, very good now. Yeah. it re-simulates that input and output. Mm. And it makes me a little bit better at driving my actual car. Well, it, it, the Formula 1 drivers wouldn't be doing it yeah. three days a week if it was no good. Um, you know, the best drivers I've met in the classic car world all Go drive on. sim. Yeah, yeah. Always. You know, they're all on sim in their own cars. You know, if that's an old Ferrari or Jag or Austin Heaney or whatever, they're, they're, yeah, they're yeah. out doing it. If and nothing else, it just helps you to, A, learn track layouts mm. way quicker. Like, going around a track is probably the fastest way to learn a track. And I'd say going on a simulator is the second fastest. I, I, I want to start, I want to get, I haven't got my race license, which I'm kind of embarrassed about. <laughs> So this year is the year, and yeah. um, I've already been told that sim is a, we're going to be doing a lot of sim. Because um, I think I know sort of sim, Brands Hatch and Castle Coon really well. Yeah, but yeah. in reality, when I'm driving 100Ks worth of Jack around it... You kind of want to know I it. I kind of want to know a bit better. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> I don't really want that. Excuse me, we've been here before. Yeah, sort of. I think it's right next. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah, oh, you shit, I'm on Dunlops. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah um, oh, brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. So 2024 is going to be race licence? Race license. You want um, the revival again with a car, or are you? Just uh, going to be we'll definitely be a revival. Um, we don't. Know. I like. I love to be. Um, we, we don't know yet. So oh. I don't think anybody knows. I mean, you know, we were almost three weeks before good when we only got told when we were turning up. So, okay. uh, so we don't know. Um, I don't think it'd be in the Mark One because the Mark One's every two years with some marriage trophy. So hopefully we might be. You know, somebody might want us to do it this year. Um, we are fully expanding into the new workshop. Yeah. So we've got we will have three to four clean builds this this side of the year, uh, with another two following later in the year. So we're in full full concourse the whole way restos, which is a good fifteen hundred hours of mechanical work going on. Mm-hmm. Um, the other you know, the other side is there's a lot of uh, we have a lot of other projects coming in. So it's basically refining the business in twenty twenty four. A good bit of racing. 
um, a lot of Scotland, a lot of downtime, a lot of rallies. Yeah. Uh, probably do an engine rebuild in Mark 7, make it juicy. So you have Churchill's Mark 7, which I think yeah, is worth that's, that's mentioning. Quite... It. But just while we, we are wrapping up, it's Churchill's old car. It's very cool. It's a very cool thing. That was at the scramble and you've missed it. So <laughs> it's a, It looks like a massive black London taxi. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's lovely. Original paint, original leather. Oh, still um, smells like cigars. Issues number 10. And then, it, and then it actually went to Philadelphia and it was um, JFK's... It basically was, it, was, it was used by JFK with the British ambassador out there as well. So it's so got it's amazing history. Somewhat incredible history. Um, bought it by accident this, last year. Yeah, because you, you had an open day and it was there. And I was like, oh, you had this last year? You're like, no, it came to the open day and we've ended up buying it. Buying it, um, um, as most things do. Um, but no, it's... Um, and also it's media, media legible... Monte Carlo rally legible. Oh, amazing! Because they all did them in period. Yeah. Um, so it's actually the cheapest way in to classic, historic uh, rally. Yeah. On a sensible budget, so. Um, it it makes practical thing. sense. Then it does. You've, I, I, it you've took, accidentally made something quite sensible. Well, I did own the car three months before I told my wife, <laughs> and it, I spent the three months justifying why it might be a good idea to buy it. When and then I, when she was on board, she's like, great, I've yeah, already got the keys. Yeah. <laughs> I would not advise that no, to anybody. I didn't tell my other half I was buying that Renault. And I had a, I just need you to drive me to Sudbury. And she's like, well, your car's right there. I was like, no, what I've bought won't I'm bought, fit I'm, in my car. <laughs> we need to take your car and I'm not insured, so you're going to have to drive. Yeah. And then we got there. I was like, I bought a car. She's like, what? I was like, ta-da. It's the best, well, it's the wrong way of doing it. But yeah. I, I'm, Amy's, very very good she, I'm very fortunate that she loves that Renault well, well you we're out of the halves yeah. are, we're very lucky people because Amy understands she does put a foot down but um, quite it's only because I, when I say I found another E-type um, <laughs> well you've got one from Facebook Marketplace already I've so. got three from far, I've actually bought three types through Facebook which is and they're all really lovely cars yeah, um, but yeah so it's, it's an interesting world but uh, yeah I think 2024 is going to be an interesting year yeah, it's going to be fun. And I look forward to seeing you at numerous events throughout the year. And yeah, we're a little bit more familiar. It won't be quite as awkward. I go, I know who you are. You're like, I think I know who you are too. I think I listen to you. I don't know the face. Yeah. Um, the hair might be different and I might have a moustache because that this chops and changes okay, quite cool. a lot. So. I stay very similar and sound the same all the time. <laughs> I'll, I'll spot you first then. Um, but thank you so much for sitting down and chatting and showing me the workshop and just kind of let me into your world for the no, evening thank it's been you. lovely it's been nice to show you around and actually have a conversation which isn't all car related as well I think it's really refreshing <laughs> um, and you know if anybody would like to come you know, we're always an open book you know we are going to try actually this year we're going to try and do two at least two to three open days we did one last year and it was, we had two last year and it was, I was just blown away how many people actually turned up yeah. I think one or two people might turn up um, so I think we'll do that next year um, and there's other pro- we've got two projects which we're building which I just legally can't even tell anybody what we're up to no but they are you've seen one of them I've um, seen one and I'm not allowed to even mention it because I will accidentally spill the beans so I'm not going to say um, anything because I've not been told anything so that but we, we are probably building the most historically important Jaguar race car which hasn't had, which, which has been built for, the last, for a very long time so very cool things are going on so in the open, open days come and see what we're up to and if you see something it means I haven't told you but I can't really say too much Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, and I'll uh, I'll stop there.